Did you ever think you were made it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Good. Listen, uh, episode 198, we're two away from 200. If you're listening to this, uh, one thing about our podcast, man, I got to tell you guys, one day we're talking business, one day we're talking politics, one day we're talking economy, one day we're talking interest rates, one day it's like, and today we're talking Epstein and an author who Whitney Webb wrote two books called One Nation Under Blackmail. She did so much investigative journalism on this topic that she had to do a volume one and a volume two. The first one is between the intelligence and crime that gave rise to Jeffrey Epstein. And the second one is around how organized crime gave rise to Jeffrey Epstein. This goes back to Mossad. We're going to talk about Jelaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell, who is a very, very interesting character himself. I think he came from a family of nine, and I think he had nine kids or seven kids. And I think the last kid he had was Jelaine. So we got a lot of things to be talking about. Uh, her background, again, outside of that as an investigative journalist, she does. Uh, she's an American writer, a researcher covering intelligence, tech, surveillance, and uh, civil liberties for the podcast Unlimited Hangout. Uh, Whitney's also a staff writer for Mint Press News and contributor to Ben Swan's uh, website, Truth in Media. Having said that, Whitney, thank you so much for being a guest here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. If I could just... Uh Correct the bio really quick, though. Um, I used to work for Mint Press. I still contribute there, and I uh, I write for my own site now. On, Got on it. So you used out. to work. Now you contri- You just contribute. You don't yeah. work there anymore. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's important to say. Yeah. So the audience They're knows. They're people, though. I, I, you know, I like the team at Mint Press News at all. Don't, but you don't want them to tweet there. out today saying, Patrick B. David said, <laughs> Whitney is still a writer with us. No. Well, so I feel like is. the intention of this entire episode today <laughs> is setting the record straight on a multiple level well, of sure. topics yeah well i mean yeah, the, the, but the whole thing is like um some of the stuff we're going to talk about today guys i mean if, if you just brace for impact it's going to be weird it's going to be deep it's going to be <laughs> if you're already into this and you've already been following it for yourself you're going to say okay i know a lot about this and i've been looking forward to this podcast great if you don't you don't follow this you're driving in your car maybe if you used to go on 85 go 72 you know if you're yeah. you know at work and you got your employees around you and you got like a deadline today Maybe don't listen to this at a 2.0 speed. Listen to this at 1.25. Slow down a little bit because so, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. So uh, just an opening thing. There's a lot of things a person can do investigative journalism on. You, you can do stuff on JFK assassination. You can do stuff on many different things. What got you turned on about wanting to learn about what's going on with Epstein? Well, it was actually... Um When Alex Acosta, who was Secretary of Labor under Trump, he uh, was quoted by uh, Vicky Ward and some other people as saying that the reason he backed off on Epstein was because Epstein, he was told that Epstein, quote, belonged to intelligence. So I originally wasn't planning to write about the case because I tend to um, 
focus more on underreported stories. And there was a lot of buzz around Epstein after his arrest at that time. And but once the intelligence angle came up, it was kind of like, well, I'd like to see, you know, where that leads, because even when that acknowledgement came out, there wasn't a lot of interest, at least it seemed to me anyway, in mainstream media um, and getting really to the bottom of what that means, that he belonged to intelligence. Yeah, what does that mean? Belongs to intelligence? It could mean airports. a lot of things, right? It could he, he had he could either have been an intelligence asset. He could have been, you know, an agent uh, and also, you know, which intelligence agency are we talking about? Right. So it was kind of an interesting an open question. But, you know, once you get that type of acknowledgement about someone as controversial mm -hmm. as Epstein, you know, a lot of things start to move to sort of protect the people who would have been his handlers uh, in that situation. When did you first hear his name? And when did the general population out there start hearing his name? Because I don't think I heard his name until 2018, 19. Is, am I, yeah, well, 20, my number's right? When well, did you hear about 2019 was the arrest. And I'd heard of him, you know, before because he was arrested, you know, previously in around, uh, what, 2006, 2007. So his name was around because, you know, even then people knew of the association with people like Bill Clinton and Trump and a lot of, you know, very powerful and influential people. Mm -hmm. He's been talked about for a while. It's yeah, it's not, not a new thing. He's but, been talking, but, but as far as like a lot more extensive. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Sure. The yeah. average person hearing Epstein's yeah. name is in the last yeah. handful of years. Couple not of years, so absolutely. That's that's a good good uh, uh, question, right there. So so maybe from this uh, perspective, uh, what does the average person, in your eyes, since you've been doing a lot of due diligence and research on this, what does the average person think they know about Epstein? And maybe we can get into what are some things we don't know that we should definitely know. <laughs> All right. So as far uh, as I see it, uh, the narrative um, about Jeffrey Epstein that I think most people have absorbed because it's been the mainstream media coverage, they focus pretty specifically on what he was doing from 2000 to about 2006 or so and only on the sex crimes. And beyond that, it, you know, maybe um, a handful of outlets have talked about things maybe in the 90s, maybe things after his first arrest, what he did between that time and his second arrest. But really beyond that, it's a very narrow focus, in my opinion, because this is a guy that really entered, you know, the workforce, I guess you could say sometime in the 70s. And he was, you know, visiting the Clinton White House in the 90s. And there's been very little interest um, especially in American mainstream media and talking about that particular uh, period of time in, in Jeffrey Epstein's career. Um, actually, like uh, UK media outlets like the Daily Mail and, and, and outlets like that have been much more focused on those aspects of the Epstein case than American mainstream media. And that's pretty telling because, you know, Bill Clinton's an American, former American president, not a former British prime minister. So, you know, why the lack of focus? The Daily Beast has also talked a little bit about that. But as far as I know, that's, you know, pretty much it. So, so let's so let's get into it. So for 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 again, like you said, a lot of people they know about you know what happened, some of the sex scandals in the, in the earlier years. Mm -hmm. Great, we know about that. We've seen that. But going all the way back to how he got started in the seventies, the influence he had. There's got to be people that either trained him to do what yeah. he did in the nineties, two thousand, or influenced him negatively and mm -hmm. taught him some bad habits. A lot of times in business, we'll bring an agent that comes from another company. That company, if they do forgeries, because that guy learned some of those habits at a different company before they brought it here. Sure. Like, how did you learn how to do this? Well, when I used to do mortgage, it was called creative financing. Oh my God, we don't do that. That's not the right way of doing business. So how do you yourself, when you look at somebody like this, someone must have taught him these bad habits. Right. So it, it looks to me that it was somewhere around the time uh, he went to Bear Stearns which was his first uh, really entry into the financial world. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as I just mentioned earlier, most people think of Epstein as a sex criminal. Based on my research, he's just as much a financial criminal as a, as a sex criminal. Um, 
But uh, in the book, I try and go even further back to that in, in pursuit of, you know, where this intelligence tie may have originally started. And, it you know, he was apparently had a British royal family connection as, as early as the early 70s, like 1971, when he was you know, in his 20s. Um, you know, he was supposed to be backpacking in Europe. There's some weird mystique around that particular uh, trip that I note in, in the book. Um, but uh, after that, he, you know, went to the Dalton School, which I think some people that looked into the case, you know, after his, his second arrest are probably familiar with because the, the man that hired him there, uh, who is the, the headmaster of Dalton at the time, was William Barr's father, Donald Barr. And of Bill course, Barr, as in the yeah, former... Yeah, the, the two-time attorney general. Attorney general, Yes, correct. and his father was a, a former... Uh, a veteran of the Office of Strategic Services, which is a precursor to the CIA. And then he went to Columbia and was sort of a talent scout, I guess, in a sense, because uh, uh, he, he ran a lot of um, uh, programs at Columbia focusing on talented high schoolers. And uh, it's very possible that Epstein was a very gifted high schooler in the New York area. Mm-hmm. He graduated high school very young. He went to uh, the Interlochen Academy of Arts um, and was a very talented uh, teenager. So it's very possible he may have met Donald Barr that way. But Donald Barr, for whatever reason, hires him to go to the Dalton School. And according to you know former students quoted by the New York Times, he showed a weird interest in partying. Uh, with underage kids even then and wanted to drink and some claim they hit on him and all this stuff. And other people said that was normal at the Dalton School um, and all of that. And the reason for him leaving isn't uh, quite clear, but he was sort of headhunted there by Alan Greenberg of Bear Stearns and went um, and and joined that particular bank. And Alan Greenberg, just a couple of years after he brought Epstein into Bear Stearns, uh, became the head of Bear Stearns. Um, so uh, Epstein was sort of, from what I understand, seen uh, um, his mentor was basically Greenberg, and Greenberg goes to the top of the bank, and so obviously that helps Epstein's career. Um, he, you know, climbs the ladder pretty rapid, rapidly there, and then starts working um, for, with some of their elite clientele, the identities of which we don't exactly know, um, but based on the circumstances under which he left, it was related to an SEC investigation uh, focusing on insider trading of the Bronfman uh, family company, uh, Seagram's, I believe. Seagram's. Yeah, so it seems like Edgar Bronfman, he may have been uh, involved in advising him on some things. And what he was apparently well known for and, and talented in at Bear Stearns was advising people about tax law. So there may have been some sort of tax evasion stuff or something. I mean, he left under rather murky circumstances. And there's a lot of, you know, differing opinions coming out of there. But in looking at the particular Seagram's insider trading stuff and that the SEC was tipped off that Epstein knew something about it and Epstein leaves. So there's no blowback for the bank because at this point, right, his um, his mentor is the head of, of the bank that could obviously have impacts all the way up at Bear Stearns, right? And another thing that's interesting is just a couple uh, uh, around that same time, uh, the who the person who had been the legal counsel for Bear Stearns uh, most of the time that Epstein was working for that bank became CIA director under Reagan, Bill Casey. So, so these links, by the way, if you, if you go on Donald Barr, because we went through that very quickly, Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr. Okay, so that's Donald Barr. When, when he was uh, uh, at Dalton, to, just to kind of put perspective, put, put into perspective for the audience, how big of a deal is the school uh, Dalton? Well, from what I understand, it's kind of one of the, you know, I'm not from New York City and I've never been there. So, you know, I don't have like an insider understanding necessarily of that. But from what I understand, a lot of, uh, you know, elite wealthy people send, Went their, to the school. send yeah. their children there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when, when he hired uh, uh, Epstein to become a professor 
teaching mathematics, this is a guy that's never had a degree before, right? Like Epstein never Ep got a no, degree. No, he would have not been eligible, as I understand it, to even teach in public school in New York. How does that make any sense for him to get a job well, teaching even though he's never had a degree right, before? Right, So Donald Barr apparently hired unconventional teachers and was known for this, right? But he actually left by the time Epstein started. Hiring decisions were apparently made in the spring. In that summer, Donald Barr left after having made those hiring decisions. So during most of Epstein's time there, it was another headmaster. And from what I understand, Donald Donald Barr's, um, uh, him leaving the Dalton School was rather acrimonious. Like he was uh, sort of forced out, it seems, by uh, angry parents and some angry uh, teachers. Uh, yeah. So apparently he was uh, uh, he was there till what summer of '94 is when I'm uh, when you're forcing me to do so much research. It's not even <laughs> I think funny. It, I think it's like '74. '74. Yeah. That's the summer of '74, and then Epstein started working months prior to that, right? Like in '73, uh, teaching physics. Teaching physics and you you don't have a four year degree, that that's 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 incredibly weird to me. Well, it, it's weird that he was hired considering that he couldn't even have taught at public yeah. school. Um, is this Epstein or Bill Barr's father we're talking about? Right so here? so um well in as far terms as who of was Epstein, teaching? No no Don, uh, uh, Donald Barr, Barr hired, hired Epstein, Epstein. Got it. But Epstein didn't have a four year degree to teach anything even in, yeah he in, didn't graduate from undergraduate yeah mm -hmm. so so just think about it. and then by the way the one thing that's also pretty weird with this whole connection is Donald Barr wrote a book space uh, uh, relations yes space relations a public published a science fiction novel that contained several prominent references to and descriptions of rape and sexual and slavery sex slavery that's true and, and that was published shortly after he left uh, the dalton school so there's a weird mix here right but i mean you can't make any direct connection necessarily but given everything else we're talking about about epstein intelligence the sex crimes all of yeah. that it starts to look kind of you know weird you know this far back but you know obviously over time it gets can you can you do me a favor and just pull up the following? Pull up the text I just sent you. And the only reason I'm showing this is because I know the folks at YouTube value Snopes because they want things to be uh, 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 looked at. And you, you know how if you can pull that up. But while you're doing that, the the strange part of the story is the fact that the person that ends up putting Epstein in jail is Donald Barr's son, William Barr. Well, at William this Barr. exact time when Donald Barr is hires Jeffrey Epstein and all of this is going on at the Dalton School, William Barr is already at the CIA. William Barr is already at the yeah. CIA. Mm -hmm. That's what? where he started his career pretty much. In yeah. 73, 74. While I think it was after. Well, so Epstein, I think it started in 74. Right. So as I mentioned earlier, Donald Barr made hiring decisions in the spring, leaves that summer, and then Epstein starts that fall semester. And in, in the same period of time, William Barr is already associated with the CIA. Yeah. So, so for the folks at YouTube and others, here's Snopes. Okay, so we, we're, we're fact-checking this. Did Bill Barr's father mentor Jeffrey Epstein and write a bizarre novel? Okay, okay so if I can comment on that, we're not talking, I didn't say anything right now. We haven't said anything about there being a mentor relationship, sure, right? It was a hiring decision. Right. So a lot of times with these fact check sites, they'll put in like, oh, there was no mentor relationship right. and then they debunk the whole thing. But Donald Barr did write a bizarre novel. Yeah, and he did hire Jeffrey Epstein. Can you pull up a little bit? No. So, so, right there. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. But well, let's see what these guys are saying because these guys, it's mostly people follow false. these guys. Mostly false. So go up, go up, go up, go up, go up, go up. So, okay, Don, at the top, let me read that one first. Uh, claim, Donald Barr, father of U.S. General Bill Barr, hired Jeffrey Epstein as a teacher, served as his mentor, and wrote a novel about men raping teenage girls. Okay, go to the bottom. Mostly false. What's true? Donald Barr was headmaster of da Dalton School in New York until the summer of 74. In 74, Epstein began working as a math and physics professor at the school. In 1973, Barr published a science fiction novel that contained several prominent references to 
and description of uh, rape and okay. sexual slavery. What's false is Dalton is not an uh, all-girls school and was not so when Epstein worked there. The claim that Barr was Epstein's mentor appears to be more than an idol. Uh, speculations unsupported by evidence. Barr's novel does not celebrate slavery or sexual violence uh, uh, against underage girls. And in one instance, the protagonist brutal murders another character to avenge the rape of a teenage girl. Right. So I wasn't familiar with the date of the the publication of the book, but I knew it was around the the ballpark. You know, the same time that he's um, you know, hiring Epstein. So I didn't know it was it was earlier. But I've never heard the claim that it was an all girls school. As far as I understand, it was just at this a, time. I mean, who would want to write both, a book like both that? Both genders. But it, I mean, I so I haven't read the book. I've yeah. only read parts of it. But from what I understand, there is like a sex slavery thing, but not necessarily for like minors, right? But it is an odd book, to be sure. Whitney, I know we're going to go a bunch of different directions, but what sure. I want to sort of hunker down on is what's the importance of this narrative that we're creating right now, or not that we're creating, that we're discussing, with Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, Epstein. What's the importance of more, this more broadly, part of the story? More broadly, I would Correct. say this is the beginning of, of several other examples in Epstein's career where it seems like he has a, a meteoric rise that would otherwise have been unavailable to him if it weren't for some sort of connections that he possess, you know, he's, he's stepping into some sort of support network that protects him, not just through his, um, you know, financial criminality, but his sex criminality. Because remember, uh, he was doing this for a long time, including the sex crimes and nothing happened to him. I mean, you have someone like in January 2020, you have Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife coming out and say, we all knew what Epstein was doing. I mean, and there's no direct John McCain, McCain, Epstein connection mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I've seen. So this means, you know, in the U.S., Senate, it's known what he's doing and nothing happens gotcha. to him. You don't operate like that and abuse thousands of girls and get away with all of this stuff if you don't have someone behind you, mm. right? So this is just a case example, sort of an initial it, case example of like this sort of meteoric rise. He shouldn't have been teaching. social climbing. Yeah. How does this happen? Yeah. There's something behind the scenes here. And this is sort yeah. of the first he narrative of that. He wasn't even qualified to teach public school, right? So he's teaching at one of the most elite, you know, schools in New York. And it's kind of odd. This is at age 20. There. I did the math. This was in 1973. He was born mm -hmm. in 1953, give or take. So he's college age, give or take, at this point. Yeah, I believe so. Mm -hmm. okay. Somewhere. He, he, but he didn't graduate from college, right? So it's just unusual that he'd be in that circumstance at this elite school. And then it's, mm -hmm. again, unusual that uh, the head, you know, one of the top guys at Bear Stearns would be like, come work for my bank, a guy that hasn't graduated from college and all this stuff. And it's supposedly because he mentored his daughter or his son. I, I mean, there's a lot of discrepancies because mm -hmm. the daughter was like, no, nothing to do with me. And then other people were like, yes. And, you know, no one wants to say they had any association with him. This is a very point, basic so. question because we can go, you know, laundry list of the nasty, crazy things <laughs> sure. he's done. But very simply, was he a very smart guy? Like as far as like anyone around him was like, oh, he's really smart. That guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, as far as just basic IQ and basic, you know, mm -hmm. education. Well, you've had a mix of responses, right, in the, since, it, since he became infamous of people being like, yeah, he was really smart. And then other people being like, no, he was just a schmoozer and charismatic and that was it. And he just bamboozled people. And I think the latter is sort of um, people trying to go back and rewrite history to an extent. I think he was very good at, at I mean, obviously he graduated from high school really young, but I think uh, he his uh, real you know knack for stuff had to do with his you know financial uh, abilities. Let, let me just put it to you this way. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to get away for this long if you're not smart or even there's yeah. a better word for it. The, uh, cunning, not, conniving. Not, not cunning, it's conniving, you yeah. know. 
you know, where you can get away with, you know, manipulating people for this long. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's brilliance there. He had a skill set that made people a lot of money, a lot of money. And that's part of why he got away with this for so long. So, so let's talk, the skill set you're talking about is sex blackmail. Is that is that what you're talking about? I think that's part of it. But as far as it as it comes to to Jeffrey Epstein, it looks like that sex blackmail angle didn't really start until the early '90s. And this is a person we're talking about Epstein in the '70s right now. Then there's the whole question mark of the 1980s and Jeffrey Epstein. And I would say that, um, like I mentioned earlier, the financial crime angle is just as important as the sex crime angle with Epstein, and it's also the least explored when you're talking about this guy. So what what do we not know? What do we not know about the eighties? Okay, so he leaves Bear Stearns. I sort of mentioned there was mm-hmm. this insider trading investigation, all of that, and then Epstein goes on to claim that he's a financial bounty hunter. That's his term for it. And there's numerous quotes in, in mainstream media of people that knew Epstein that were told during this period that he was a person who claimed to um, find or hide money for powerful people. So he's either finding money that was looted. Or he's helping people hide looted money. So right there, you know that he's involved in some sort of financial gray area and that he has a very good working knowledge of the offshore banking system. I mean, that we can deduce from that, right? I think that's pretty. So how does that how does that help him? So it's a, it's a financial bounty. Okay, I get that. But the bounty people I know, they're... He method. calls himself a bounty hunter, a financial bounty hunter. That's his He's term used for that it. terminology before, you're saying? Yeah, th- th- yeah, this is in mainstream media. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A financial bounty hunter. There's only a handful of ways you're able to get that. Uh, but either way, whether you're helping people find money yeah. that was stolen or helping people hide their stolen money, you know where that money goes and this, you know, the the lamb, labyrinth of where that money is hidden. Yeah. You know it better than anyone, and that's why people go to you. So 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 the blackmail part is the creative one. So uh, in the insurance industry, there's something called premium financing. And premium financing cases pay a lot of commissions. We're talking five, you know, $10 million of mm-hmm. commissions. One guy is doing a premium financing case with a big uh, billionaire guy. And I'm not going to tell the story of who's who, but th- he takes the client away from the competitor. So the competitor who was about to close this case is going to get paid five something million dollars, is upset and says, You got to give this client to me because it's mine. The other guy's like, I'm not going to take the client. I'm not going to give the client to you. He says, No problem. He has three people that work for him, all dropped at gorgeous girls. They go and investigate because a lot of times these successful people, they eat at the same place, they sit at the same place, so it's Mm. easy to find them. He goes, creates an environment where the girl, it's the same script. She's going through a husband beating, all this stuff, and she, she says, I'm so sorry, sits at the same place at the bar, eventually invites him back to his room, her room. They go upstairs. They do what they do. He leaves. The videotapes. The, the insurance guy sends to the other guy, says, if you don't give me that client back, this is going to your wife, to your clients, to your employees, sure. to everybody. So this is something, as weird as it sounds, this is not a abnormal thing. This not goes on quite circles. often. Yeah, yeah, in, not in, in these, these circles, circles specifically. Sure. So know, knowing what you know, when you call yourself a financial bounty hunter, have you been able to investigate and see what his methods were to get the money back? Unfortunately, it's super murky. There's very little we do know, but from what we do know, it is pretty interesting. So it seems like um, Epstein during this period had some sort of relationship with a bank known as uh, Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI. Uh, According to the BCCI report, which is a U.S. Senate report, BCCI was involved in sex trafficking of minors. Uh, apparently for VIPs and other people, whatever that means, I don't know, but some of them were prepubescent. And this is coming straight from the Senate report, right? Very underexplored aspect of this case. It, the more you look at BCCI, it seems like, you know, it was nominally a bank, a development bank, but really it's um, 
um, to me, sort of more like a private, was a private intelligence apparatus sort of masquerading as a bank, a lot of intelligence involvement from the beginning, apparently Pakistani intelligence, but there was also, you know, reports in Newsweek going decades back, of course, because BCCI imploded in 1991, saying that the CIA had some sort of role in, in creating BCCI and was very involved in money laundering and all other sorts of stuff, this particular bank. Um, and Stephen Hoffenberg, who was a mentor to Jeffrey Epstein at some point, later in the 1980s, has said that Jeffrey Epstein had a relationship with this bank. And we know from people like um, Vicki Ward, for example, that during this you know financial bounty hunter phase, one of Epstein's main clients was Adnan Khashoggi, the arms dealer, who had a, a relationship with... Uh, many intelligence agencies. Khashoggi as in Jamal Khashoggi, the journalist? They're, they're related. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy how this web oh, of Oh, yeah. I mean, these uh, it, it's very is... nuts. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I necessarily, you know, am qualified to talk about the Jamal Khashoggi case. Uh, but yeah, it, but just these names that keep popping up. Yeah. Bill Barr, what does he have to do with this yeah. Khashoggi journalist? Yeah. Clinton, Trump, this, well, Epstein, the MI6, intelligence crazy. thing being confirmed from someone like Alex Acosta. He was told Epstein belonged to intelligence. And you're talking about all these names. They have all these different intelligence affiliations. It starts to become clear there's something much deeper to the Epstein case that, you know, mainstream media isn't interested in touching at all. Um, but anyway, Adnan wow. Khashoggi, during this period in the 1980s, one of his main banks was also BCCI. And this is the same time when Adnan Khashoggi starts to put a lot of this... Um, uh, stuff that later becomes known as Iran-Contra into motion, which also involves, of course, some um, drug trafficking, money laundering, arms trafficking. You know, it's a very complex... Uh, which you know, Pat is very familiar with, right. uh, with the Iran-Contra affair. So, so okay, so let's, let's, let's keep going back to the 80s. So is that pretty much all we know about what happened with them in the 80s? With the financial bounty hunter mm-hmm. stuff? Well, the other thing is, too, right? So, you know, Bill Casey had this relationship with Bear Stearns. He's CIA director. Epstein leaves, and then he teams up with someone like Adnan Khashoggi. And then at the, around the same time, other two other people take on Adnan Khashoggi as clients. Robert Keith Gray, uh, who worked on very closely with Bill Casey on the Reagan campaign, and Roy Cohn, the lawyer, who also worked very closely um, with Bill Casey on the Reagan campaign. And both, and as I note in volume one of my book, uh, both of those men have very extensive ties to sexual blackmail. Roy Cohn does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, Roy Cohn was a lawyer for a lot of uh, mobsters, for many and, of the mobsters. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and many powerful people in New York. He was the guy you got when, you know, you needed somebody to take care of you. Now, the, the Roy Co- is Roy Cohen's story at all linked to J. Edgar Hoover or no? Is there any connection between the yeah, two? Yeah, I mean, I, I write about it pretty extensively. They were very close. And, you know, even Roy Cohn's uh, probably one of his best known biographers, Nicholas von Hoffman, that wrote Citizen Cohn, mm-hmm. uh, just couldn't it really even explain why the official story of J. Edgar Hoover and Roy Cohn's meeting, uh, he just found it very odd because it, it's so it was so uncommon at that time for someone to just waltz in to J. J. Edgar Hoover's office and have that kind of access to him uh, right away. But there's been uh, several um, um, authors and, well, I I document this all in volume one pretty extensively, uh, that that point to there having been some sort of relationship previously, that they had met previously through through some sort of um, weird sexual, it it seems to have been a sexual blackmail operation, and Roy Cohn later apparently admitted this to an NYPD a detective, there was some sort of sexual blackmail thing going on that entrapped J. Edgar Hoover, and Roy Cohn participated, not necessarily in entrapping J. Edgar Hoover, but they had these sex parties, right? And so J. Edgar Hoover was seen at these, Roy Cohn was seen as these, and a, a guy that was close to both Hoover and Cohn, Louis Rosenstiel, who was a liquor baron of that particular area, was also um, sort of in the same 
same circuit, and it, it, it's alleged that this all took place at the Plaza Hotel. It's important to say this real quick while you're going through this. Everything that you write about is primary sources, right? It's not, for the most part, you're going through primary sources. Or, you know, so in the case of this, a lot of it comes from uh, books, different books written by people that are sourced that way from interviews and things like that. Got it. Um, but okay. yeah, I mean, I, I anyone that looks in the book and goes through the footnotes of what I write about is going to find like very high quality sourcing. Sure. So with sure. Roy, Roy Cohen and Jay Edgar Hoover. So you're not saying Roy Cohen was involved in the sexual blackmail against J. Edgar Hoover is why, you know, the, the mob, mob was able to say so, so Roy wasn't involved at all to corner J. Edgar Hoover so he can help the mob. That was not the not, connection. Not necessarily, okay. but they seem to have been in this. They, they attended these same sex parties that the mob was apparently right. using to blackmail people. And when Roy Cohn admitted his involvement, he uh, ad apparently admitted to this NYPD vice squad detective um, that he uh, was involved in the, these kind of operations, sure. but that he only did it because he had been entrapped. Uh, originally, so this uh, NYPD detective had like a he, he. When I interviewed him, he expressed us uh, like some sympathy towards Cone, like he felt bad for him. But Cone did this stuff because he was apparently entrapped at some point. And you know, you have to keep in mind this is a period of time when it's very difficult to be a gay man in DC. So you know, a lot of this stuff is sort of like underground. And you know, it, if it were to come out that they were homosexual, it could have ended their political careers. Both right? of them, him and Jade Grew. Oh, absolutely. Roy and Cohen that's why was, the blackmail was so effective. Right. I think, absolutely. In this period. Yeah. And, and by the way, even Roy Cohen's assistant, who was with him, they call him. He was his lover. He died in 1984 from AIDS. That's Roy Cohen's assistant who died in 1984 huh. from AIDS. And that's the AIDS pandemic where. You know, everybody was talking about. Roy but, Cohn also died from it. You're right, I know, but it, you know, the point being is his assistant died from it, and then mm -hmm. boom, the same thing yeah. happened are, with him. Are the stories with J. Edgar Hoover, he was the director of the CIA, FBI. I'm sorry, FBI. The stories about cross-dressing and high heels. How how much truth is is in that? Okay, so uh, there's a there's a couple different sources from that. So one is Susan Rosenstiel, or I think that's her name, if I'm not mistaken. It's Louis Rosenstiel's fourth wife is a source for that. And then um, there was a separate source. There there were uh, two or three separate sources unrelated to Susan Rosenstiel that corroborated that claim. So when there's that many sources, it's almost like when there's smoke, there's fire. How much? How much? Well, you know, it's um. In, when it's corroborated, I mean, I, I feel like then it's possible to report it. I mean, people can make their own conclusions. I mean, there's some people, I think, that have a very vested image in the the image of Hoover that the we're FBI all told. Director, so, course. like, you know, there'll be people, it doesn't matter how much you corroborate it, there's, there'll be people who won't believe it. Do you believe, believe that, Pat? That what? About J. Edgar Hoover and cross-dressing and if I, If I'm going to put odds, nothing yeah. is 100% because I wasn't there to witness it while he was getting it on, but I would say... Ninety percent? Oh, that high? I think so. Oh. I think I, I don't well, think it's his, a, I don't think it's a issue anymore. His secret yeah. life with mm -hmm. like Clyde Tolson and you know that he had a he a was fair. a homosexual yeah. and all of this is well known. Wow. And there's even been like Bill Clinton speeches from the '90s where he sort of references that about J. Edgar Hoover and everyone laughs in the room, right? So like, you know, there may be some stuff that isn't known necessarily to the American public, but like in these elite circles in D.C., you know, they mm -hmm. stuff gets out, so right? My, my question about elite circles: we we constantly hear this word elite the elites the rich elites the global elites the elites you know these days in america everything's so fractured I'm, I'm on team red i'm a democrat i'm very polarized blue, very yeah. polarized right and one thing i always say is like i don't care about the blue i don't care about the red i follow the green right it's all about the money follow the money right all oh, right i agree so with you there yeah there, the, these themes that we're talking about with j edgar hoover back in the 50s and beyond mm -hmm. that jfk and to the 80s and reagan and clinton in the 90s up until today and trump there seems to be like three common themes money 
power, and sex. And that just sort yeah. of pierces through everything. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. that. Those are major, the major three things probably that are a common thread throughout my book because my book really starts back in like the 40s and goes up. And so, yeah, I mean, through that, those decades, uh, that's that's what makes the world go around as far as the U.S. Yeah. is concerned in power. Because, you know, a lot of people look at the politicians and think that's the power, right? But who is backing those politicians and who's backing those backers? And to paraphrase J, uh, J.R. Or, or Tolkien, uh, who's the banker of those backers, right? Hmm. So there's like always these different layers of power. And talking about someone like Roy Cohn, Roy Cohn had a system called the favor bank system which is what he called it. And everyone he interacted with had an open account in his favor bank. And you either, you know, do deals with him or you go against him and you get plus or minuses. And, you know, you make all these unsavory alliances, especially New York City, to stay in power um, and things like that. And and Roy Cohn learned a lot of this just growing up as a very young boy. He was not typical. He was very interested in power and accumulating it for a very young age. Um, And he was very close to, like, very prominent mob-leaked businessman like uh, Generoso Pope, his, uh, who was uh, the father of one of his best friends growing up and had this... Uh, he he was very close to Frank Costello, the mobster, and ran one of the biggest cement companies or concrete companies in New York, obviously very important to real estate and very close to organized crime, very politically powerful because he ran... Uh, had, a, I think, a monopoly on the Italian language newspapers in New York for Italian immigrants, so he basically controlled that voting block to a significant degree. And so, you know, Roy Cohn had sort of an inside track into how all these deals are made behind closed doors with businessmen and politicians. His father was a very prominent judge with the Democratic Party. And at this point, you know, the Democratic Party in New York, uh, a lot of that power base is unions and mob, the mob took over a lot of the unions very early on in the, yeah. in the 20s and the 30s. And there are even some cases I note in the book where, you know, they wanted a mob-backed politician in power. They threatened the life of some guy and then they just put the mob guy in. And this is back in the 30s. Have things really changed? I don't necessarily think that it has. I think more mainstream media willingness to look at those cases has declined steadily uh, with the years because what kind of journalist wants to take those kind of risks, right? Wow. Especially if you live in the swamp that you're writing about. Pat, pa, let me get your opinion because this this is mind-blowing to me. I don't know if there's anybody on the planet like Pat that has interviewed collectively business people, political figures, and mob people. Oh, really? Like if you put those three yeah. trifecta together... Pat is, I don't, I mean, venture to say, I don't know if anybody's on your level in that regard. These, these, you've interviewed Rudy Giuliani and, and kind of how they compare, you know, what the mob does and political figures. Like when you're processing all this, you brought up Frank Costello. Right. Uh, like when you're hearing these common themes, like how are you processing all this? No, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's a, I, I can see this happening. Because every, the easiest way to get somebody, like after, you, you ever see somebody that flips? Like even the conversation came up with Joe Manchin. We're talking about why did he all of a sudden go from not supporting to supporting? What happened there? What happened with uh, Colonel Powell go from you know where he was at to all of a sudden flipping? Why do some people all of a sudden dramatically flip, which makes no sense? You were loyal 60 years to this cause. Then dramatically you go X, Y, Z. Did somebody have something on you? Is somebody calling and saying, take a look at this picture, take a look at this video, take a look at this? I'm not telling you to do this. All I'm saying to you is, if you don't, there are people much more powerful than me that are going to probably leak this to the public, and I don't want your reputation to be ruined in the face Mm -hmm. of your kids and all that other stuff. There are very few people that are willing to say, go ahead, do it. I don't care. Go ahead. do." Very, very few people. Matter of fact, I'm willing to say it's 
0.0001% because these same people that are driven by power, sex, and money are also driven by legacy and their reputation. And so the moment you risk their legacy and reputation, that's the ultimate control. But what a, what a, you, you want to talk about the ultimate slave? The ultimate slave is when somebody has that kind of dirt on you. For the rest of your life, you have to do whatever they tell you to do at, at the sacrifice of anything. So it, it has that happened? Was the mob involved for doing this? The mob wants to control and have power over you. Back in the days, the way they did it, they had many creative ways of doing it. I, mm-hmm. I don't see this not being the case. But let's go back into the 40s because there's a lot of names when we go back to the 40s. So my interest in the following is this. Here's what my interest is. Anybody that becomes a, uh, a high, high-level criminal uh, in any industry saw it through somebody else. Typically, someone taught them how to do this. Yeah. It's not like they accidentally picked this up. Yeah. Somebody saw them how to do, uh, taught them how to do this. You know, a few that maybe they're inspired by a book they wrote, a book they read, or a movie they watched. But for the most part, they saw someone do it. So Epstein goes back. Dalton intri- brings him in. Who, who taught him the sex blackmail model, though? You don't know that, right? I, no, it's very hard to know. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's some people who claim they know, but, you know, frankly, from what I've seen, it's it's very hard to know. But I think it's more likely it took place somewhere in the 1980s. It was probably either BCCI or even someone like Adnan Khashoggi, right? Adnan Khashoggi had a yacht, and he, would, he, basically, he was accused of having a harem of women on that yacht, and he would use that to butter up uh, politicians, private businessmen, whoever he needed to, you know— help him accomplish his goals, which, you know, more often than not was, you know, selling weapons, weapons deals, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of different places it could have come from. Like I mentioned earlier, BCCI was sex trafficking on basically an industrial scale. And as I note in the book, the way it's described what they were doing in the BCCI report, very similar to what Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell later did. There was a woman he was working with in that BCCI report. Um, so this is the the creator of... Um, of BCCI and, and a woman in, in Pakistan, because they were pa- trafficking women from Pakistan mainly to the elites of the United Arab Emirates. It was probably more extensive than that, and it's sort of acknowledged in the BCCI report, but what that report documents is this Pakistan to UAE pipeline. Um, and it's it's honestly very disturbing, but the way it describes what this woman was doing in, in, in advancing the sex trafficking operation there, very similar to the role Ghislaine Maxwell would later go on to play with, with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I have a question about these women. and I mean, yachts, boats, women. I mean, I grew up in South Beach. This is every weekend, right? This is not a big deal at all, <laughs> except for this. So women, I mean, there's no secret guys like beautiful women. I don't think that's a controversial topic. This is the tale as old as time. Yeah. But these young women, these underage women, my question is this, is it used for blackmail? Are they a pawn in a deeper game or are they just sick fucks that actually like younger women? Meaning, oh, I'm, I'm into 15, 16 year old girls or no, we're, I'm into hot women. You tell them that they're 18, 20, 21, whatever. Well, it actually turned out she was 16, dude, and we have pictures to prove it. Right. And we're going to use it as blackmail. Which think, one is it? I think it can be, it really depends. It could be both, really, depending on the person. I mean, look at Jeffrey Epstein. In Jeffrey Epstein's case, I think he was definitely doing the gotcha stuff and the latter stuff to people. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, but in addition, you know, when he uh, tried to justify himself to, to journalists after his first arrest, he would be like, now listen, historically, the age of consent wasn't 16, and it's not that weird. You know, once they hit puberty, like, game on, basically, is what he was saying. And people have pointed to, um, 
I think it's an op-ed piece that Alan Dershowitz wrote um, in, I think, the early 2000s or late 90s. Don't know the exact date, but he says something like, you know, it should really be once girls start menstruating. Dershowitz said this? Yes. This is why his name constantly gets brought up. You know, um, I, you know, there's allegations against him, obviously. But he's, by the way, he's talked about it and he's responded to it in interviews like people have asked. He's very him. direct about yeah. it. But I think that's part of his strategy. I think he feels like if he shirks away from it, people will assume guilt. And I think he thinks he has a better chance of, you know, protecting his reputation if he confronts it head on. But I don't you know, the court of public opinion, as far as Dershowitz is concerned, I think a, a lot of people seem to. Uh, agree with the allegations but again it's hard to know you know when it comes to Epstein you know if your name gets associated with him even Epstein acknowledged in early 2019 you know he's radioactive is the word he used to describe himself after his first arrest two, two things let's talk about when the connection came with Clinton and then when he met Jelaine which happened first he met Jelaine first then he met yeah Clinton. yeah so with, with Ghislaine Maxwell it's publicly claimed that they met in late 1991 or so their first public appearance together was when he sat next to her and her mother at a tribute to Robert Maxwell shortly after his death that was at the Plaza Hotel in New York um, but you know that was sort of in my opinion more of a coming out of their public relationship in this close association that followed from that point on of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell um, I note in the book that there's differing allegations and people are open to make up their uh, you know their own conclusions about it that they met years prior. And there's also allegations from people that worked with Robert Maxwell when he was doing stuff for Israeli intelligence, including former Israeli intelligence agents, uh, that Robert Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein knew each other in the mid-1980s and worked together on intelligence stuff, and that Ghislaine Maxwell um, had sort of brought Epstein into the fold because they had some sort of romantic relationship in this. Who, who had the romantic relationship? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine uh, before 1991. That's the claim. Is so. that how you would, like, how would you describe their relationship? Were they friends? Were they lovers? Were they business partners? Was it all the above? I, was I, it weird? Yeah. Was it sex? I think after 1991, it was definitely very business partner stuff. There's been a lot of this stuff out there to absolve Ghislaine, I think, in a sense, uh, where they say, oh, she was just enamored with him and that's why she did everything. I think it's much more complicated than that. And the reason I think they've been able to say that narrative so well is because they just totally ignore her father and her relationship with her father. Her father dies and she's used to being in this particular relationship with a man, in this case her father, who dominates her life and, and runs it basically for her and has for years and then he's dead and what does she do? She goes to someone who's just like Robert Maxwell. So, so it's important to find out more about Robert Maxwell because he himself was a very, very interesting character. What do we know about Robert Maxwell? Oh, man. Well, I mean, we could fill up the whole podcast talking about Robert Maxwell, to be honest. Really? Uh, but really, his intelligence connections are a matter of record. Um, he was uh, very closely associated with Israeli intelligence. He was also closely associated with figures in a Soviet and Eastern European intelligence to a significant degree, um, a, an alleged relationship with British intelligence. I mean, it seems like he could have been a double or triple agent, um, you know, very involved with intelligence stuff. And that's why it's complicated when we talk about intelligence affiliations. Oh, you know, people are like, um, you know, Robert Maxwell was just Mossad. Well, you know, it's more complicated than that. These people are interested in money and power from themselves a lot of times. So if it means, you know, you know, helping these guys out and helping these guys out, having your hands in as many pies as possible to rake in more money for you and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of these guys seem, seem to do that. And Robert Maxwell was definitely a guy that sort of seemed to not just strap different intelligence agencies, but also intelligence and organized crime, which is another uh, big theme of, of the book. So looking at Robert Maxwell by the by the 19 around the end of the 1980s or so, he went into business with uh, Eastern Bloc mobsters in a big way. 
people like Simeon Mogilevich, uh, who, whose name has come up, for example, like when mainstream media talks about Donald Trump and the, mo- the Russian mob and all of this stuff, it all goes back to Simeon Mogilevich, but they won't acknowledge that uh, he was a business partner of Robert Maxwell, and you have Donald Trump partying on the Lady Ghislaine, Robert Maxwell's yacht in, in the same period in the late 80s and all of this stuff. So is it really more of the Maxwell mafia or the Russian mafia, right? Uh, there hasn't really been an interest in connecting you know, those dots, right? And I think it's interesting, too, you look at Donald Trump's reaction to Jeffrey Epstein's arrest. He wants to distance himself. I'm not a fan, right? And then Ghislaine Maxwell gets arrested. I wish her well, he says. And people like um, that used to be pretty close to this nexus, like Stephen Hoffenberg, say that Trump was much closer to the Maxwell side than the Epstein side. From the, from the father's side, Robert. Y- yeah, and that it continued, you know, that his affiliation with Epstein and Ghislaine after Robert Maxwell's death, talking about Donald Trump, was because that he was closer to Ghislaine than Epstein necessarily. Well, let me ask you this. How, how was uh, Trump's relationship with the Murdoch family? I'm not exactly familiar okay. with that, but but because uh, these guys were competitors, Maxwell and Murdoch were not uh, were competitors. Too fond of, yeah. yeah, but Trump's mentor was Roy Cohn, right? And so Roy Cohn had a friendly relationship with Murdoch. Got it. So and, and these guys know. are going at it, and it, 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 this character Robert Maxwell could have been like a great great Gatsby character because he would tell the stories and half the stories you don't know if it's real or not but at that time you kind of have to believe it he was uh he's been described as like narcissistic a very very big on self-promotion very you know he was determined to make himself and his family sort of like the next kennedys he wanted to make a a dynasty of power uh that was what he was interested in. maxwell robert maxwell yeah Yeah. and um one of the top fbi special agents in new york john patrick o'neill uh you know went on record saying uh that robert maxwell before he died set into motion a global coalition of criminals that he basically uh, made a major successful effort to bring together organized crime factions from around the world into like a global basically criminal conglomerate at the same time that he's has all these intelligence affiliations wow. and that's pretty significant it, right it's, and it's that, a, mm-hmm. keep going well i was just going to say that o'neill said you know if you look into that guy's career specifically you know he was sort of head on it to be head of the security at the world trade center and he started just days before 9-11 and he was sort of pushed out of the fbi but before he was he left the FBI and he made these statements to author Gordon Thomas. He said, I have people looking in, try, still trying to unravel the Maxwell legacy in New York. And this is a decade after Robert Maxwell's death. You, wow. you got to realize this guy was born, you know, Czechoslovakia and Ukraine, yeah. right? And then uh, uh, his his parents and his four siblings get killed mm-hmm. at a uh, Auschwitz I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it was a camp, but they 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 definitely they, did die. But they were also pogroms and all sorts of right. stuff. Right, they lived, died they, in the hand of the Nazis. To have yeah. Died. yeah, they died yeah. in the hand. Mm-hmm. He fought against the Nazis for the British for the military, British. Mm-hmm. and so then later on he goes into wanting to compete in media, the whole mirror, and then you know he owned fifty one percent of uh, uh, MTV. It's kind of weird. This guy owned fifty one percent of MTV. Robert he owned fifty one percent of MTV. He was MTV. building a massive yeah, he owned media This guy's like a. Yeah. He, 51% of MTV, and then... This is Ghislaine Maxwell's father, father Robert, Robert Maxwell. Maxwell. So, And then uh, Ghislaine is the last child, the ninth the child. The youngest, yeah. and, and his favorite after the eldest son uh, is injured in a... No, the eldest son is injured. I think Michael Maxwell, he dies... Uh, after being in a vegetative state for several years, he was the favorite child. Then had this, you know, awful car accident. And then Ghislaine, who was uh, Ghislaine, was born around the same time that happened with her older brother. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the family basically it neglected her for the first like couple years of her life. And she developed like a childhood anorexia and stuff, and had a lot of problems with feeling uh, even acknowledged by her own family, which obviously is going to have 
psychological stuff uh, implications for her obviously and then you know it doubles back and, it, and then she becomes the favorite child so you know you have that neglect and then no. you go to being favorite child no. you know there's a and, and you sort of see robert the maxwell start there nine kids you saying um, i think it's seven okay so all these kids was it with the same woman and where were they all born do you know okay yeah it, it was betty maxwell is the the wife and very complicated relationship there because robert maxwell was not faithful um, and doesn't seem like the kind of but, guy but who's she, the no, but she, guy. she was very faithful and very devoted. So, you know, yeah, I feel kind of sad for her to be honest. Um, but he was not faithful, but he wanted his children to be sort of like arms of his empire. Right. Yeah. Um, but two of them are estranged, I believe. Uh, I forget their names. One went away to Argentina and the other one, uh, he was not very nice to a lot of his kids. Um, he was known to like verbally abuse Evan and uh, Kean and Evan. Uh, sorry, Kevin and Ian. And then um, the the daughter that's estranged. He insulted her appearance a lot, and that might have. Pat, may have Pat is there any doubt in your mind that he was an intelligence asset, Robert Maxwell? I, I, I just started looking into this a couple of days ago because uh, it's all her fault. I mean, I literally just started looking into <laughs> Thanks, this a couple Whitney. days I'm ago. I'm not the and, first, though, with Robert yeah, Maxwell. Seymour yeah. Hirsch published a book called The Samson Option, Why Robert Maxwell Was Still Alive, Alleging a Relationship with Israeli Intelligence. And in, in Britain, the libel laws are very strong. So Robert Maxwell sued over that intelligence claim, and he did not win. Did not win. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, here's So Seymour Hirsch was right. So we'll just leave that there. As far as I'm concerned, it's pretty... It's extensively documented the affiliation with Israeli intelligence. And 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 he names his yacht, the $15 million yacht he buys, Lady uh, Ghislaine. After his favorite child. After his favorite child. But it's a little weird, the relationship between Robert Very Maxwell weird. and Ghislaine. Right. For example, Ghislaine commissions pictures for the Lady Ghislaine, and some of them are a bit racy. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I mean, father-daughter relationship. Do you really want like a picture of your daughter with the skirt all the way up oh. here being like, eh. it's weird. You know, I'm not saying I know anything that happened between them, but I think there was a lot of psychological manipulation. And, you know, it seems like Robert Maxwell, at least in my opinion, was kind of narcissistic. A lot of narcissistic parents see no boundaries between them them and their children. They see their children as extensions of them. Uh, He believed that Ghislaine was the most sexually attractive and the most like him. Right. So, you know, a lack of boundaries can mean a lot of things in that in that particular context. Right. Mm. And, you know, as I as I note in the book, uh, chapter 15 specifically, which is about all this stuff, um, it seems like he you he was interested in using her sexuality for his benefit um, in, in, a, in a PR sort of way, um, like. Uh, for example, would publish stories in his own papers of alleged affairs of his daughter with elite people, uh, you know, aristocrats in Britain and stuff like that. Uh, even though, you know, the British uh, elites that he would name were, you know, denied any sort of a romantic relationship. Robert Maxwell obviously wanted that out there. And this is the same guy who with Ghislaine's, you know, boyfriends when she was in high school, didn't want them near the house, didn't want her to date, you know, was very controlling of her romantic life, but at the same time would publish, you know, basically mm-hmm. gossip and smutty gossip in his in his newspapers about her. I can see most dads not wanting, you know, your teenage daughter yeah. around. But he boys. wanted her to marry a Kennedy. That's what he wanted. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Can we see he a picture of Tyler a of a young dynasty. Ghislaine Maxwell? We all know what she looks like now, but young? Yeah, and, and after, uh, no one knows how he died. Suicide, you know, There's what happened There's a lot of him? allegations, yeah. but let's look at what Ghislaine Maxwell says. Ghislaine Maxwell believes that he was murdered by rogue Mossad agents and the Sicilian Mafia. That's what Ghislaine Maxwell thinks happens to her father. When does she say that? Uh, I think it's quoted in the New York Post somewhere. Um, I cite it in the book. 
she says uh, he was murdered because they, they, you know, the other children claim not murder, but she thinks she was she was the person who, according to British journalists, when he died, she was the one that came down out of all the siblings, right. came to the yacht right after his death, goes on the boat and shreds papers. So that means out of all the kids, if that's true, out of all the kids, she knew what was incriminating and what was not, where it was and what to shred. Yeah. And by the way, when he dies, you know who his yacht goes to? His yacht goes to Murdoch's third wife. Oh, interesting. Rupert yeah. Murdoch. It is interesting that's, in the story. That's the part where it's a very, very connection of wanting to compete in media and how uh, this well, guy. Well, the, the Murdoch-Maxwell stuff was pretty intense, that competition. Uh, Murdoch drove Maxwell insane. Yeah. He looks at things. Just he, was, he apparently was willing to stretch his business empire you know, as far as he could just to try and stick Murdoch. In the eye. <laughs> uh, and and that, that includes using 460 or $446 million of his employees' retirement plan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Did you hear he, this? He, the pension ahead. fund for, yeah. the, for the mirror. Mm-hmm. He used his employees' pension fund to finance what he was doing with the media company, $446 million, and the employees ended up only getting half of it at the end after he died. Because his sons, I think Kevin and he didn't leave any, he didn't leave any, leave any, any of his money to uh, Ghislaine. He felt it was appropriate to only well, leave it to the boys they, or something like they that. They have trust in Liechtenstein no one knows about, all right? And the FBI special agents looking at this stuff in yeah. New York, you know, Ghislaine apparently came and made this show wearing like rags and like sobbing, like dirty, being like, I have no money, blah, 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 but they didn't believe her. And they were trying to find about all these trusts and stuff that, he, you know, he he was what Jeffrey Epstein did with money. Robert Maxwell was even better. So he right? so he so who knows really where the money went? We don't really know. A lot of the the maze of Robert Maxwell's funds, a lot of it is honestly still a mystery. Then, then this is where this is where my question goes to who had a bigger influence on how to take Epstein's game to the next level? Was it? Ghislaine because what she learned from her father or was it something that Epps like who brought more to the table for the crime that they committed both of them together was it more Epstein's background or was it more Ghislaine's experience well uh you mean after Robert Maxwell's death yes so I think Ghislaine was looking to continue the same role she was sort of doing for her father which was being an ambassador for her father basically in New York right. and the interests that represented him his handlers sort of looked to her and at this time uh, Jeffrey Epstein is is the money manager for Leslie Wexner and Leslie Wexner uh, is affiliated with a group of very powerful um, billionaires who, at the same time that Robert Maxwell made his inroads to New York with Ghislaine sort of as um, uh, the ambassador. Um, oh, sorry, I lost my train. Oh, yeah. Um, they're quoted in, I think, Vanity Fair of having court, those, those billionaires courting Robert Maxwell specifically. So it seems like there was some sort of effort to bring those interests together even before Robert Maxwell died. This name, Les Wexner, if you're not familiar with it, I mean, go ahead and tell. I mean, this is Victoria's Secret. Shy. This is the guy that yeah. basically created the modern day shopping mall, Abercrombie and Fitch, Bed sort Bath of, and Beyond, yeah, yeah. Victoria's Secret. Like, reveal a little bit about this guy. Okay. So, I mean, he, he's a retail guy. So, I guess the big brands we're familiar with, yeah, he's the one that backs them. But he, his rise to power is partly linked to. Um, people that cr- that built the shopping malls and then yeah. leased space to him. They called him the Merlin of the mall, something of that capacity? Y- yeah, I think that's a nickname for, for Wexner, yeah. But okay. uh, people like Edward uh, De Bartolo, I think is how you pronounce it. De Bartolo. The De Bar- Bartolo De family, Bartolo. they own the 49ers. I mean, this is all coming together. These, re- Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Follow the money, ladies and gentlemen. 
Yeah, keep going. Yeah, and then uh, Alfred Tobman, who was another big shopping, he built a lot of shopping malls. He's one of the guys that really, he's considered a mentor to Wexner, as is Max Fisher. And these are guys, really powerful people from Detroit, specifically involved in real estate shopping mall stuff. Max Fisher also has a background in oil, but also got into um, a lot of, well, he's the guy that made Tobman, I guess, because Tobman built a lot of, I think, the uh, gas station, like convenience stores for the oil company, and then got into retail yeah. uh, commercial centers. The, and the reason I asked uh, about Lex Wexner, Wexner is because I went down the rabbit hole. You've done multiple interviews with Tim Dillon, right? Oh, I love Tim. I know. Yeah. Like uh, he's uh, someone that we're in touch <laughs> How do you with, not love the guy? <laughs> he'll be, he'll be here pretty soon, but I've watched multiple of your interviews. I'm a fan of Tim Dillon, you know, the, multiple connections there, but you said, quote unquote, Epstein made his money from links to three powerful men. And you said Les Wexner, you said Bill Gates, and then you said Donald Trump. That's this not for me. That's a 2001 article from the Evening Standard, which is a mainstream media publication in the UK, prestigious, right? And it's never been retracted. It's from 2001. But if you believe U.S. mainstream media, Bill Gates and Epstein didn't meet till 2011. And this is 2001. So there's 10 years of... <laughs> there's more than 10 years, I think, with Bill Gates and Epstein, yeah. Gotcha. It's pretty crazy that... There's an article like that out there from 2001, and mainstream media is like 2011. Uh, no, what did that don't... article say? Uh, well, it's it's talking. So that Evening Standard article is talking mainly about Prince Andrew and who are Prince Andrew's new friends. Oh, it's Ghislaine Maxwell because obviously, you know, Robert Maxwell's uh, theft of the pension fund money obviously had huge ramifications in Britain. A lot of people, uh, for understandable reasons, didn't like the Maxwell family after that. So a lot of the gossip columns or newspapers would report a lot on what the Maxwell children were doing. They sort of became infamous celebrity children, you know? And so they follow up on them. And then Prince Andrew, you know, circa 2000 or so, is going on vacation after vacation with Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. And so Jeffrey Epstein is sort of introduced in that article and they're trying to explain to their audience in, in Britain in 2001 who Epstein is because people probably haven't heard of him. Yeah, they all know Ghislaine. They all know Prince Andrew, obviously, but they don't know Jeffrey Epstein. So the introduction to Jeffrey Epstein is he's a, they describe him as a property developer. And actually a lot of early articles on Epstein don't say a billionaire, financial advisor, like a lot of the later ones do. They say property developer. There's a real estate connection there, which is I sort of explore. And, the, and um, then in that article, what's the Gates-Trump connection with all that's this? That's what they say. The line there is that this is where, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's money comes from. These are his clients, his top clients, basically. And so people know that there was a, a longstanding Wexner relationship, a longstanding Trump relationship, but it mentions Bill Gates. And at the time, Bill Gates never challenged that article. You know, it was never retracted. Like I mentioned earlier, the UK has very strong libel laws. If it was untrue, he could sue and it could be retracted today, but it's never been done. Who, who, when you when you're going through the this this rabbit hole and you're kind of researching people, you know sometimes you do this in business, you do it in sports, you do it in a lot of different things, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're 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 trying to go here, then somebody makes you go here. Okay, <laughs> you're like, wait, what? This guy's more interesting <laughs> than these guys I was researching. Who who ha who ha who did that to you while you're going through the rabbit hole? And all of a sudden there's a personality you're saying this guy could be one of the most powerful guys or influential guys or gals that nobody looked at. Yeah, I, I that happens to me 
a lot. Yeah, especially in looking at this web, and it really is kind of a web, so you end up going in different directions, and really all those different tangents are worth exploring because sometimes there's very important connections there. Sure, yeah. Who? Anybody? Um... Well, for example, let's take Leslie Wexner, right? The the De Bartolo family um, had an affiliation with Wexner, and it's actually mentioned in a police report from Columbus, Ohio, that they have organized crime connections. And it discusses that Leslie Wexner, by extension, has several organized crime connections himself, right? So, you know, I didn't... Uh, that particular police report, you know, has a lot of very interesting information about Leslie Wexner's business connections, and his business associates. But then, you know, if you go beyond that and you look at those names that come up there on their own, you find a lot more information that the organized crime connections are a lot more extensive, for example, than they are in the police report and, and things like that. Or maybe things I've done more recently since that report was written. Um, you know, it's really worth uh, leaving you, notes. You know, it's crazy. In these cases. I, I, have you ever watched the show? It's always sunny in Philadelphia ever. Uh, yeah, but years Hilarious, ago. amazing show. But <laughs> yeah. to, to your point, Tyler, pull up this picture I just sent you. Tell me if you've ever seen this image, uh, if we could pull it up. I'm working on it. But th this is what essentially Pat's question reminds me of that you're doing. <laughs> that anyone who's ever watched this show. Oh, it's will, will uh, with you've the You've seen wall? this? Yeah, sure. It's, Any, I mean, it's like a meme making sound. a murder documentary, going down the rabbit hole. This is what comes to mind. This yeah, is where I'm some, at right now yeah, with but all so, this Yeah, stuff. but some people use this image, right, to be like, oh, everyone that looks at this kind of stuff and claims there's any sort of web or like yeah. decentralized power structure with real pull is insane. You know, and it's sort of this claim when you get called a conspiracy theorist, right? It's sort of this idea that all the stuff we we're talking about today, it's just a coincidence. These people have no agency. They don't actually, you know, no. plan yeah. to expand their power and wealth behind closed doors. And I think that's honestly pretty naive. I, gotta to say, I saw this comedian yesterday. You know how uh, somebody sends me this clip. What an funny African-American wearing a suit. This thing went viral. Funny, funny. I, I wish I knew the guys and to give him credit. Uh, if I find it, I'll put it on Instagram for people to see it. So he says, listen, I understand not believing most conspiracy theories, but you mean to tell me you are willing to believe that all of them are conspiracy theories? He says, I have a problem with that. There's no way in the world all conspiracy theories are wrong. No way. There has to be some of them that are right. He says, look, here you have the government that's filled by thousands of powerful people, hundreds of powerful people, and there's 330 million of them, uh, of us, right, that they're going to lie to us. He says, look. I got a son. I love my son. I love him more than anybody in the world. And I want him to live an incredible life. But I got to tell you, he's got one person above him as a father, and it's me. And I lie to that kid all the time. That's the one right there. Is you send it to me? Oh, my God. That was hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing. Let's put the link below if people want to watch. He says he lies to the kid. He says I lie to my I lie to my kid all the time. He says, what makes you think if I as a parent lie to my kid all the time, government's not lying to us about different conspiracy theories? Yeah. He says you have to be naive to not believe some of these things that could be true. Fully agree. You know, but but they well, put the label and then they discredit somebody that's writing and saying what they're saying. And they take one part of it that you got wrong, and automatically they say everything else you said. But, but it's like wrong. that Snopes about, mostly false thing. It's like yeah. no, it was mostly true. Yeah. yeah, but one little false component. But but think about today. If you're saying something that's true, but the government calls it a conspiracy theory, you can lose. Uh, if you're someone like me, you can lose your income. You can be taken off of Patreon. You can be taken off of Twitter, Facebook, yeah. YouTube. Where did you get taken off? Any of those? Uh, I got taken off of Patreon. Yeah. Patreon took you off. Yeah. What was their reason? Mm -hmm. uh, it. 
It's comp. Well, I wrote an article about the affiliations of the creator of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine and that he uh, was affiliated and speaking to the Galton Institute, which was until 1989, the British Eugenics Society and some of the affiliations of that particular organization. Uh, so anyway, they didn't like that. I mean, eugenics, we can have a whole conversation about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I got to tell you, you know, I'm on, on, on Pat's show, on our show. Uh, I'm sort of the skeptic. We have 9-11, sure. you know, th conspiracy theories, guys. We've got obviously COVID stuff. We've had priests on that exercise demons, mm -hmm. QAnon type stuff. And I'm very skeptical on this. I'm not skeptical at all. I'm well, like, okay, questioning I think, things. I think you're savvy enough to know that a lot of this stuff makes sense when we're talking about the politics of power yes. and you're about follow the money. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's my point is that it's, you know, but, people want to get political ideology. Right. This has nothing to do with politics. But I mean, Democrat becomes just follow the freaking money here. Yeah. And see what's and going think on. Think about that with Epstein. This is a guy that's so infamous. Everyone in America probably knows his name, but no one knows that he committed financial crimes. Oh, he's a sex trafficker. That's what we he's know about him. He's just a sex trafficker, right? He's a financier. But this is a guy that was Stern. involved in one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in U.S. history with Towers Financial. Even though he was named as being the mastermind of that during grand jury proceedings, his name is dropped from the case and he ends up at Bill Clinton fundraisers in 1993. And then after that, some of the most controversial fundraisers in Bill Clinton's uh, presidential career, Epstein's there. And then after Clinton leaves office... He's setting up the Clinton Foundation flying on Epstein's plane around Africa. He credits Epstein for coming up with his HIV-AIDS philanthropy, uh, being involved in creating the Clinton Health Access Initiative. You know, And a lot of people have sort of you know, argued that the Clinton Foundation is sort of a glorified political slush fund for the Clinton family. So why do you have a financial criminal helping you set up your, your foundation after he's involved with the most controversial, actually, fundraisers of your of your political career after being involved in a major Ponzi scheme, after being a financial bounty hunter involved in the offshore banking complex. It's complicated stuff. There's no interest in looking at this stuff except for maybe the Daily Mail. I'll give you uh, some examples. So uh, the Daily Beast around the time that Epstein was arrested the second time uh, came out and, and noted that Epstein had, a, had attended at least five meetings uh, at the Clinton White House with a guy named Mark Middleton. Okay. Um, Last December, the Daily Mail obtained the full visitor logs. That number ballooned to 17. It wasn't covered in the U.S. Shouldn't that matter? That it goes from 5 to 17. You have this guy in less than around two years going to the White House 17 times. And he's not just meeting with Mark Middleton. His first meeting was Robert Ruman, a former head of Goldman Sachs, who, by the way, Goldman Sachs was uh, accused of being a major accessory to Robert Maxwell's financial crimes, including the stuff with the pension funds and all of that were involved in all of this crazy stuff. So the guy that is part, you know, running basically the bank that Robert Maxwell is very much tied to, Robert Maxwell dies, and the first guy to bring Jeffrey Epstein into the White House is that banker. So so, so go, go to the Clintons. Go to the Clintons. You were talking about everything with the Clintons. Why, why do so many people, when it comes down to Clintons, get suicided? Uh, you know, we hear the story. I don't story. have an answer for that, we, but we I mean, I can give you my opinion. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Why we hear these stories, and then you know, I want I want to ask you whether you feel Trump has any kind of a involvement with Epstein, not in regards to business, but with women, because I have my own theory there as well. But let's start off with the Clintons first. 
okay, so the Clinton stuff is really complicated. And even I, like with the book, you know, I sort of saved some of that stuff for last. And I, it, it probably should be its own book because this Mark Middleton guy, most of his meetings were with Mark Middleton. Um, you have these visitor logs came out right last December. It's 17 visits. It's much more than five with Mark Middleton. And then just a few months later, Mark Middleton dies in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, he was allegedly found hanging by the neck from an, with an extension cord around his neck and a shotgun wound to the chest, and it was labeled a suicide. Uh, a local court in Arkansas said that no media uh, front taken at the scene, photos, videos, anything is allowed to be released to the public. Hold on, what? He was hanging... Supposedly, but shotgun this is again. This is again from the Daily Mail citing local law enforcement that you know it's it's very crazy. Um, I mean, listen. If you can commit suicide by hanging yourself and shooting yourself with a shotgun in the chest, you're you're a magician, is what you are. I mean, you're you're in a league of your yeah. own. Yeah, and to so do that. this is right after it comes out that he's <clears throat> you know meeting the guy that met with Epstein a bunch at the Clinton White House. But it's even crazier than that because you it, once you start looking into who Mark Middleton was at the White House, it gets crazy really fast. I'll give you an example. George W. Bush comes into office. Are you familiar with the first time Bush invoked executive privilege? Uh, among other things, I think there were three things in the particular document that was, you know, that invocation. But one of those three was all documents about Mark Middleton not going to Congress, which was investigating Mark Middleton. Why did Bush step in to protect a aide to the chief of staff of the White House for Clinton, who's normally, you know, he's, he's not a big fish, right? Yeah, what was the Why is Bush stepping in for yeah. that? What's your theory Well, uh, if you look into why Mark Middleton was infamous at that time and why he was being investigated, uh, it's remembered really only by U.S. conservatives today, and they refer to it as Chinagate, um, which is kind of a, a largely forgotten political scandal. It's insane once you get into it. I personally think China, China Gate. I think China Gate's kind of a misnomer. You you do have China involved, but really it's the same it's some of the families that backed Bill Clinton uh, when he was governor of Arkansas, uh, the Riotti family, Jackson Stevens, these types of figures, uh, when Bill Clinton becomes president, they have a lot of interest in uh, China stuff. And, and mainly it looks sort of like a lot of tech transfer stuff to China. And so conservatives at the, at, at the time said it was basically the, the Clintons selling out uh, U.S. national security on a, on a major scale to uh, the Chinese government. Or mainly uh, to firms that were, you know, state-backed and, and tied up with the, the Chinese military. Um, and uh, Mark Middleton was one of the guys at the center of this. And Epstein's meeting with him at the same time that China Gate's active. And oddly enough, in the same period of time, and I mean, this is why it's so crazy. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, on behalf of Leslie Wexner, is involved in moving an airline called Southern Air Transport from Miami, Florida to Columbus, Ohio, to run cargo for the Limited. And... Um, Sorry, I got away from the microphone. And uh, that's the airline that used to be Air America, the CIA airline. Uh, Southern Air Transport was involved in the Iran-Contra stuff, moving stuff. The MENA, Arkansas, Barry Seal, the cocaine stuff, all of that was Southern Air Transport. And then just a few years later, it becomes the airline of the limited. And it's not going from Miami to Latin America anymore. It's going from Columbus, Ohio, involved with Epstein and Wexner. It's going to Hong Kong. And this is the guy, at the same period of time, he's meeting with the China Gate guy. I mean, there's a lot of really crazy stuff here. And honestly, it would take the whole podcast to unravel it all. I've tried to do my best in the book, but there's there's really a lot more there. And it's it's very crazy. And the other guy at the center of this was Commerce Secretary Ron Brown, who agreed to cooperate with an investigation into a lot of this stuff. And then he ends up dead in a plane crash that kills a bunch of people in the Commerce Department that are at the exact part of Commerce, ITA, 
at the Commerce Department who were, that was basically the department most targeted by this particular group for China Gate. Is this the one where 34 people died yeah. and they said there was a ra radar failure and then the next day the radar failure guy was killed or he had suicide? A, he had a, yeah, he was shot in the chest and it was ruled a suicide. That's just so weird. It was in Croatia. Ron Brown, oh uh, after he agreed to investigate, was was told he needed to go on a you know urgent trade mission to Croatia, and that's when the crash happens. And I think actually Maxine Waters at the time uh, requested there be further investigation because he was found with an odd wound in his head uh, that was consistent with a gunshot wound, and the x-rays disappeared and a lot of crazy stuff. Maxine Waters wanted it to be investigated? Yeah, well, actually, like when Gary Webb wrote it, you know, Dark Alliance and right. all this stuff, she also called for their doing investigation, but that doesn't mean it went anywhere, you know. <laughs> Maxine Waters, Congresswoman. Well, I think she California. was a bit different in the 90s than she is huh. now, yeah. No question. I, about it, yeah. Let me just yeah. bring this down to earth for a second, because <coughs> obviously we can go the whole Charlie Day. Yeah, but the Clinton stuff's that? really crazy, yes. right? Yeah. You know, all these theories and, and the stuff that we're hearing, and we had a whole conversation about distrust of the media, you know, the, the stories about politics and Clintons and the media and the yeah. lies and the money and not trusting what you're seeing, not taking things at face value. How should the average person, I'm just a normal American, I'm just a normal citizen, paying my bills, got my family, how should they process just the news, in your opinion? You mean like mainstream media news? Yeah, just, you know, living my life. I'm just hearing, you know, doing what I'm doing. Well, I think mainstream media has uh, evolved a lot over the past few decades, right? I think, uh, you know, I, I've been out of the U.S. This is my first time back in the U.S. in like eight years. My parents, uh, I was at their house a few days ago, uh, they watch the evening news all the time, like ABC, and when they're talking about a government story, they just cite the government sources and that's all they say. They don't, you know, look to see if it's true, they don't do any sort of watchdog stuff, they're just telling you uh, what the official story is about really anything. And, you know, to me, that's being more of a stenographer than being a journalist. I don't want to be a normal person right now. I want to be an abnormal person and go back to Clinton. So let's go back to Clinton's. <laughs> okay, so we did Middleton. We did Ron Brown. Who else? When you see the link uh, to these guys, Esther, you got a few of these guys that you can. I mean, it's just it's so nuts. I mean, I would encourage people to read this part of the book because there's so much detail. It's so convoluted and insane when you get into the the, the stuff about this. And even the congressional reports that were done about China Gate. I mean, it's totally insane what happened. Uh, it's very like illegal. And uh, there was a focus on the illegal campaign donations but it was basically like pay-for-play politics, but it was pay-for-play politics where these illegal uh, campaign donations were being uh, obtained from non-US citizens, yeah. and it was basically buying influence of the Commerce Department that was seems to have been signing off on basically tech transfers of sensitive like military and other types of technology uh, to our ostensible adversary, and when it wasn't supposed to be sent over there, and also stuff about China's trading status, like most favored nation trading status, because Clinton campaigned on playing hardball with the Chinese about that stuff, and he totally reversed. Right. And a lot of this is because of this this one family that backed his political career going way back named the Riyadis that are actually Indonesian, but they're ethnic Chinese and they have a lot of business interests in all of Southeast Asia. They're very big. They're called the Lippo Group. And um, the Lippo Group and, and Jackson Stevens, these guys have a relationship with BCCI that we mentioned, we talked about earlier back in the 1980s and actually tried to save the BCCI Hong Kong branch before its collapse. And that's when they went into business uh, with some of these Chinese uh, government owned firms. 
And that's where China Gate really starts. And it gets really crazy from, from there on out. But talking, even not talking about China Gate anymore, you look at the first time Epstein went to a Clinton fundraiser. It was supposed to be uh, for the White House Historical Association, nominally a fundraiser so Hillary Clinton could redecorate parts of the White House. Um, I don't even, I feel crazy talking about it just because it's so insane. But yeah. this fundraiser Epstein was involved in, he was one of the donors to that. You also have one of the guys instrumental in BCCI stuff, like Clark Clifford, uh, who was in the Carter administration and played a major role in BCCI's entry into the U.S. financial system. Um, and then you have a guy um, named C. Gerald Goldsmith, who tried to run for mayor of Palm Beach once, who has a bunch of ties to offshore banking complex organized crime. I mean, a lot of the guys, not everyone, obviously, but some of the guys that attended this fundraiser are financial guys like that, right? And this fundraiser ends up in Vince Foster's suicide note. What does that mean? Uh, are you familiar with Vince Foster? Yeah, of course. He was White House counsel. Um, and, For Clinton? Yeah, and he died. And uh, there's a lot of speculation about what really happened there. Because, you know, he supposedly shot himself in the mouth, but there's no blood at the scene. Right. And... Uh, the autopsy report said it was a mouth-to-neck wound, and then they changed it. You know, on some pages it says that. On some pages it says, like, you know, it was a regular gunshot wound. And then the people that were at the scene are, are advised about the autopsy late, and they show up, and all the part of the mouth and neck, the palate, all this stuff is just taken out of Vince Foster so they can't look at it. And, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. I mean, I know, I know you know, the specifics about the, the death in, in the book and why people suspect something, but it's pretty much a matter of record that when police went into Vince Foster's office after his body was found, there was nothing in his briefcase. And then somehow like 36, I think hours later, uh, the White House claims there was a suicide note that Vince Foster left. Huh. And it was apparently Hillary Clinton's office that was responsible for finding that suicide note after this extensive delay. And the only mention of uh, Hillary Clinton in that suicide note is related to this White House Historical Association fundraiser. So these crazy stories about the Clintons and all the all these they, they've done this and suicide. It's like when there's smoke, there's fire kind of a thing. These, oh, yeah. There's credibility here. I, I got a question about that that we were kind of talking about yesterday. Remember how you were saying Deutsche Bank? We were talking Deutsche Bank yeah, yesterday. Yeah, you constantly so hear Deutsche Bank. Can you talk Bank. about Estee Salas, Esther Salas, what happened with her as a judge and her son? So I haven't followed up since the, the shooting happened, to be honest. So I'm not actually sure how that case has advanced or not. But I know that the case was about to be heard. Esther Salas was the judge overseeing uh, the case related to uh, Deutsche Bank's relationship with Epstein and how despite staff, uh, you know, red flagging Lots of stuff that he was involved with. Nothing happened to him at that particular bank. Um, and there was a shooting at her home. Her teenage son was murdered. Um, and really, if you think about it, since Epstein's second arrest and the case became infamous, that's the only innocent person to die. Yeah. So, And that's related to the Epstein's finances. This is, again, why I say the financial crimes. There's a reason this stuff is underreported. It, it, but but the, the part of this story that I want to bring back to Clinton's and some of these other guys is the following. So guy shows up as a delivery man, shoots the son, wounds the husband, son dies uh, while this whole thing is going on with Epstein and Deutsche Bank. And then the shooter the next day or no, not the, the next day, the same day uh, is found in a car 
with a dead dead with a bullet wound and he he killed himself right after he killed that's the narrative so right. you know some people have speculated is it even the guy that did the shooting or was it just pinned on him yeah. or you know who knows um, <clears throat> and if you look into the guy who is, is the alleged shooter he um previously worked for a group called Kroll Associates which is known as the CIA of Wall Street uh, they did security on World Trade Center during 9-11. They also investigated many scandals of this particular group I write about in the books and then found no wrongdoing, even if they acknowledge uh, wrongdoing in the bulk of the report. Their summary is everything's fine. You know, they investigated people like um, Adnan Khashoggi and Imelda Marcos uh, for all those financial things. Uh, Co- I think Covenant House. Um and lots of stuff. Uh, Robert Maxwell hired them right before his death. Uh, very interesting for him, to say the least. And actually, French intelligence uh, alleged uh, a few times that they were an actual front for the CIA Coral Associates. Um, but if you look at you know who's made the you know made up a lot of their staff historically in terms of intelligence connections, it seems to come mostly from either U.S. or Israeli intelligence at Coral Associates. How many how many murders are linked back to Clintons? What's the number? I, I've heard oh, I have no idea, but I'm sure yeah. people link uh, all sorts of stuff to them. And I think you know there are some that we could link and then there are some that maybe are a little more speculative depending right. on who's making the list so, right so here's my question you know i'm going to be the, the the skeptic here and my question is the following so if somebody does things like this um you know like rfk when i asked him about the murder of his father robert kennedy yeah he went out he, he wrote a book about it on yeah. what they did to him and his uncle right i mean if something like that happens to you that closely to you, you're probably going to spend the rest of your life wanting to find out what happened yeah. to get to the bottom of sure. it, right? Okay. Are most people going to want to seek vengeance? I don't know. Of course, most will not. Most are going to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to do something, and they're not going to do anything about it, and life kind of goes on. Uh, you know, in, in most, most you know, tragic events that happens – People generally move on a couple years later and life kind of happens. You're worried about, well, it's going to affect the other kids, this, this, that, so I'm not going to do anything about it. But if you've ever seen that one movie when, with Gerard Butler, what's the movie's name uh, uh, we were talking about yesterday? Law-abiding citizen. Law citizen where somebody kills his daughter and his wife and he goes and buys the building next to the prison and goes and finds the person that killed his wife and his daughter and he seeks vengeance, right? Yeah. If something like this has happened with Epstein or with, you know, Clintons, why hasn't anybody done something about it, whether it's a lawyer? I, I whether think it's people a, have tried. I just think we don't hear about them. Take, for example, Mina, Arkansas. You know, we talked about earlier, Southern mm-hmm. Transport, Barry Seal, the cocaine, the Contra stuff that was going on. Yeah, well, well, there were some kids that ended up dead near near there under suspicious circumstances, and the mother of one of those boys, I, I'm, I feel really bad, I can't remember her name, because she's suffered so much and worked so hard to try and find out what was going on there. Um, just decades trying to get to the bottom of it and trying to find out what who killed her son. What was the, the city in Arkansas? Uh, well, it was. It, this is Mena, Arkansas, so yeah. M-E-N-A we're talking about, but I think the exact location where they either lived or were found is a different city you know right next crazy? to it. crazy? Hmm. Tying all this together, remember when we sat down with the drug trafficker for Pablo Escobar? What was his name? Uh, Roger Reeves. Mm-hmm. Didn't he talk about Barry Seal and Mina, Arkansas? Yeah. Wasn't that a theme with the Escobar and the drug running? Wasn't that a thing? There was a lot of drug Is running. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes. What the? 
Well, it's not, well. Here's basically what happened. I mean, this is sort of like a, a very simplified summary of major aspects of Iran Iran Contra, which is, you know, of course, it's it's very complex. But basically, you know, Bill Casey, a CIA director, was told by Congress, uh, you can only send humanitarian aid to the Contras. He had set up this major military support apparatus for the Contras in Nicaragua, and he was like, well, you know, how do I get around this? How do I get around Congress so I can finance? whatever covert operation I want without Congress having to fund me, you know, how do I undermine them basically, you know, so I can keep doing what I want, what I think is best and screw what Congress thinks or screw what the president thinks even. Right. No, and I, uh, how do you finance that? You know, uh, it gets complicated. It seems like some of the stuff they went towards was stuff like arms traffic, trafficking, drug trafficking, Maybe there's allegations of human traffic, but who really knows, right? I have a but. hard time, like, somebody not making this their life mission to be. A lot of times, you like, you ask uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, why would you become a lawyer? Well, because when who his dad was, what his dad did, what his family was linked to, how he was around the mob, how he could have been in the mob, and he chose to be a lawyer. One of my good friends became a cop in L.A. His, his brother was a criminal. And I, I, we were, these are kids we went high school with. And he says, listen, he told his brother one day in front of everybody. He's the younger brother. He says, I'm going to become a cop. And I swear to God, if I find you in the streets, I'm going to put your ass in jail. And I love you. So he became a cop because his older brother was a criminal. And he was mm -hmm. in and out of jail. He was sick of seeing what he was doing to his mother. So the younger brother took the pain of mom crying every single night because the older brother being a criminal. He said, I'm going to be a cop. Till today, he's 44 years old. He's a cop. So there has to be, if these stories are true and they're emotionally connected to the kid, or someone's going to be a lawyer, someone's going to say, I'm going to dedicate my life to this. Look at Hunter Moore. Hunter Moore is the revenge uh, porn guy. I don't know if you follow this guy's story. His Netflix documentary came out. The most hated man on the internet. The most hated man on the internet. If you don't know this guy, he would get boyfriends that would send the nude photos of their girlfriends, exes, and he would put it on a website. He was making a bunch of money on this website. And eventually, a bunch of people are begging him to take their pictures down. I'm not taking your pictures down. Your ex gave it to you. Good for you. LOL. You can't do shit. Wait till you see. I can get more pictures from your ex about you and all this stuff. He eventually gets caught, goes to jail, right? And Anderson Cooper's interviewing this guy 11 years ago. Do you feel guilty about it? Not really. Do you know what eventually happens? A mother, okay, named Charlotte Laws found her daughter's nude picture under his website, asked him to take it down. He never took it down. She's the reason he went to jail. One mother dedicated her life to take this guy down, and she won. So if all of these stories are true about the Clintons, if all of these stories are true about the Epsteins, if all these stories are true and families are connected, suicides, people love those people. Kids love their dad, their mom. Yeah, Someone's got to do something about it. How come but, nobody has? Well, in the case of the person you're talking about, did the guy running that website have major intelligence connections? Did he have major connections to some of the wealthiest, most powerful people on Wall Street? Probably not. Probably not, right? So, you know, it really depends on, who, you know, who you're going up against. I don't know about that. I, I, I think if something like that happened, a, a kid would dedicate their lives to politics, office, being a billionaire, being an influential person. But again, I think it depends on the kid. Take it like Ron Brown's son. Ron Brown's son went into, uh, went into politics and was just like his dad sort of, because uh, Ron Brown was pretty corrupt. You know, he did end up getting killed because he agreed to cooperate, but only because, you know. He was at the end. Of, they had a lot of stuff on him, right? Who's Ron Brown's son? The, 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 um, I think he's Ron Brown Jr. I can't remember. But he ended up being a corrupt politician. 
uh, even after what happened to his father. And I think, I can't remember exactly, I think it was a much small, he wasn't national politics, it was either like city or state or something, but he ended up getting caught for some, I don't know if it was bribery, but something along that. The specifics I don't remember, but he just kind of went to the same bas- business his dad was in. And maybe yeah. he was like, well, you know, maybe something happened to my dad, but, you know, I saw how my dad was before and he made a lot of money and I want to make a lot Let of money. Let me ask like you this. That. Let me ask a question. Let's just say you, you are, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you. You are the daughter of any of these guys. Okay. That were suicided. Okay, hypothetically, yeah. they were so- but I would fight. But I don't know if everyone's like me. You know what I mean? Some people are what like. Would, but what would you do? Let's just say I want to use you. Sure. What would you do? Say, say, say you're one of those people. It's not like you're going to go be a UFC fighter, find these guys in the streets, and fight them. No, sure. How would you, how would you go about doing it? You're a 22 year old daughter of one of these guys at the Clintons, Epstein's. They did something to him, or you're. The the sister of one of the I would try girls and, that Epstein picked up and he put on this island mm-hmm. or the house. What would you do? I would try and get people in media to tell my story, right? But what if the media won't touch the story that you're trying to get out there? Will they have Somebody you on? Would. Maybe, but would. not not a big podcast. And will why bigger podcast pick it up? I don't know. I think it depends. Again, you know, why did mainstream media not want to cover the fact that Epstein um, went to the White House with Clinton seventeen times? Why did they not cover the fact that, you know, last December the picture finally came out of Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein shaking hands in 1993, but they claimed for, you know, a couple years that they didn't meet until, you know, after Clinton was out of office and wasn't president anymore? Why will they not look into the fact that Bill Gates says, oh, we only met for the first time in 2011, but there's documentation that they knew each other at least a decade prior, if not longer? You know, they're, you know... I think there are people who will try and fight, but sometimes, you know, what if someone does try and go on a podcast and then they get a knock at the door and it's like, you can't talk to people anymore unless you want what happened to your father to happen to you or so something So you would like eventually that. be silenced as well? Well, I don't know, but I think, oh, you mean about my work I'm and saying stuff? you, no, 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 no. Oh. I'm saying you're the daughter, you're the sister of somebody. I think some people, what if they try and do something and they get threatened? Okay, so, oh. okay, so it happens to you, happens to you. Audience, if you're listening, happens to you, comment in this what do you do? Something happens to you, okay? Somebody did this to your mom, okay? Somebody did this to you. What would your long-term plan be? I'm asking a very serious question yeah, here. I'm glad you used the word long-term because I think short-term, everyone's going to be filled with anger and vengeance. You're not going to get to the short-term. Gonna... This has to be a long-term plan. Exactly, that's And it's got to be through <laughs> career, law, politics, business. What would you You're do You're going to have to dedicate your life to revenge is what it comes to. You're like Batman at that point. <laughs> right? Short term, everyone's going to be angry and upset yeah. and want to get vengeance. Can't do nothing But Batman that. has the resources, right? He's Bruce Wayne. He's super rich. He's got all this technology. He's got this big company behind him. What if you're just a regular person? What kind of resources do you have? What if no one wants to have you on their podcast? What if you can't get anyone to tell your story? Yeah. As emotional you know? and as distraught and as revenge-stricken as you are, at some point, most people or most people are just going to be like, fuck it. It's not worth it. And they give up. But I mean, think about Esther Salas, who we, we talked about a, a, a little bit more. Her, 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 you know, her son's killed. Her husband's almost killed. How are you going to rule in that case? As a judge. As a judge. What are you going to do? They've already taken the most important thing from you. But, but what's the purpose of life at that point, though? You know, what, what is the, you know, at that, at that point of the game, like, you know. I think what they're trying to say is don't fuck with the mob. Yeah, I don't know about you know? that. No, I, I think there are certain people that don't roll that way. I think there are certain people that... I, I think that, there are certain people, yeah. but is that everyone? I don't think it's everyone. Yeah. I think there's some people, maybe like you, like me, like you, that would fight and do everything, but I don't know if that's everyone. You know what I mean? Some people, 
you know, just want to be left alone. Well, Pat, what After was the a movie while, that we all watched? The Man on Fire. That's kind of what this reminds me of. I don't remember the exact premise of that, but it but was revenge. Not the, I'm actually not going that direction. I'm actually not going that direction to seek vengeance to kill. But the, he, because in that situation, he didn't kill the brother. He, you know, the, the devil. He didn't kill the brother. He shot the brother's hand, and then he gave up his own life in exchange for Dakota Fanning, right? Because Greasy was uh, Denzel, and he gave the exchange to find out if she's alive, go ask him where she calls her teddy bear. Hey, what do you call the teddy bear? I call the teddy bear Greasy. She calls the teddy bear Greasy. Boom. That's the point of the, the story changes, right? Inflection point where you're like, oh, my God, she's alive. Okay, what do you want? I want your life. But I don't know. Like, All I'm thinking about is if all this stuff is true and – it doesn't become, by the way, not all of it needs to be true. If 20% of it is true, with all these personalities we hear about mm-hmm. suicide and killing, I don't need 100% of it to be true. I need 10% to be true. I need 20% to be true. And they're not held accountable well, for it. You have, so if this is all about the Clintons, right? Let's keep in mind a lot of people that are on this, you know, alleged suicided list are people that work with the Clintons and also were involved in allegedly a lot of shady stuff. So is there, you know element of dirt to that as well you know you, you see what i'm saying like um let's see someone like vince foster right allegedly vince foster's sister there was like some money exchange and stuff before his death and like maybe what if the family the broader family is sort of tied up in this stuff too do you think they're gonna fight if someone gets killed that's close to them if they're also sort of involved in this shady world that's I mean, not everybody, though. No, it's not no, it's well, not. You're right about I, that, I agree that it's everybody. not everybody, but you know, you're talking about the Clintons. It's not like everyone that's on that suicide yeah. list is like equally innocent as others, you know. So it gets really complicated and convoluted. But again, I don't think, you know, unfortunately, you know, I didn't do a lot of research into their families yeah. and what they've done since then. I do know that like there's that that mom from the kid that was killed near Mena, Arkansas, that's been fighting for since the 80s yeah really and there are some people like that but is everyone on that on that list going to be like that you know it's hard it's hard to know and it's it's hard to know in in this case too i mean you take someone like jeffrey epstein being suicided there's his brother but his brother seems to have been involved in a lot of this stuff and maybe he just doesn't want to get axed by the same person that might have axed his brother you know what do you think it would take to get jelaine to speak and and actually speak speak what do you think it would take? I, i don't think it'll happen but what do you, you all the money in the world wouldn't do it uh, no, I don't think it would have to be money. I think there would have to be mass disclosure of what was actually going on, and then maybe she'd talk about it, but she won't be the first to talk about it. No way. So, so She's it, in a very vulnerable situation. She got moved sort of like to a country club prison, probably yes. because she agreed to not talk, right? Yeah. So so you think she's done done? She'll never talk? I we will not gonna, get anything no, out of No, no way. No way. Don't you think her talking helps her set herself free if she does talk because it's now all out in the open i don't think it is all out in the open though. no if she does though if she does actually go out there and say uh, i don't know it's hard to know she thinks she thinks her father was murdered she thinks jeffrey epstein was probably murdered so i mean I at don't this th- point again what's the purpose of living so why not talking you'd have to ask her i mean she thinks maybe she well, thinks can she'll you get another couple of years yeah. 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 i know you guys are in texting uh, yeah terms not exactly see see what she's okay so now let's go to the trump situation so 
you, you openly talk a lot about Trump. It's not like you're holding back because you, you're not a no, Republican. No, no. You're not a Democrat. I don't even I'm think politically I want to put you anything. Objective. You're just objective about uh-huh, everything. Uh-huh. What do you think Trump's involvement is with this? With well, this? I definitely think, you know, mainstream media likes to focus on either Epstein-Trump or Epstein-Clinton. I think the Epstein-Clinton relationship is far more damaging than the Epstein-Trump relationship. I think the Epstein-Trump relationship... Um, was mainly a social one. I don't really, you know, the Clinton stuff is, I mean, we just kind of got into that and it, it's pretty wild, right? The Epstein-Trump stuff doesn't seem to be that crazy in comparison. I agree. But you have to keep in mind too, like I think a lot of people, whether you love him or you hate him, you end up sort of, sort of coming at his background and who he is from sort of a biased standpoint if you're on one of those two polarized extremes that we have today in the United States, right? Regarding Trump, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. So as I see it, you know, I I wrote a lot about his mentor, Roy Cohn, and that kind of world. And that's the person who supposedly taught him, you know, the art of the deal. And we talked a little bit earlier about this favor bank system, unsavory alliances, you're working in real estate, the, you know, cement, concrete, it's mob dominated companies, you got to, you know, make unsavory alliances to make your business work. And, you know, this is a guy, you know, Trump is a guy that inherited a real estate empire already there. He obviously wants it to succeed. So he's going to continue that same system. Right. And he's going to continue making those same alliances and do what he can to be a businessman and, and do what in his mind is, you know, be successful. Right. So I think that's sort of how you get, you know, the Trump we have today. But then again, you have Trump. Uh, have a major bankruptcy in the early 90s. The bank that rescues him uh, is Rothschild Inc., which is the Wall Street branch of the European banking family. And that particular bank was also um, uh, very close to Robert Maxwell. It was also very close to a guy named Sir James Goldsmith that's also one of these corporate raiders from this period of time in the 80s. And actually, Jeffrey Epstein had a relationship with him, Goldsmith, as early as like 1973, 1971, somewhere in that ballpark. So that connection goes very far back actually but Rothschild Inc the, the, the guy that was in charge of it was a uh, Robert Peary I believe his name is and so Robert Peary decided to specifically recruit sometime in the 1980s uh, Maxwell and Goldsmith and I think another associate of Maxwell and this is coming from the New York Times by the way um, as to sort of help them grow their mergers and acquisitions business that was it was uh, the Rothschild family sort of saw Rothschild, Rothschild Inc as sort of a neglected branch of their banking, you know, uh, empire. empire. Thank you. And, um, and they wanted, they, they tasked this Robert Peary guy with sort of growing it and developing it. And so he brought in Maxwell and these guys. Right. And so this is, um, one of the banks that's responsible for Robert Maxwell's deal with Macmillan, for example. And Macmillan is believed to, to really be the way that Robert Maxwell got his foot first in the door of, uh, in New York city specifically, um, because of their, you know, interest there, Macmillan interest there. And so then you have that same bank that's very tied up with Robert Maxwell and these characters uh, rescue Trump from bankruptcy. So, By the way, if you're watching this, if, if you think this message needs to be heard by others, give it a thumbs up and share with others because that's going to help with the algorithms. If you think this is a message and we're going to give the links to our book as well at the end. But you know why I don't believe he has anything linked and the media would love to find something with him and Epstein? Because if you did, you would have never done this on the debate uh, stage Trump pulls out a stunt and brings out, you know, uh, uh, the the ladies that he brought up. I'm sure you remember this when he brought Apollo Jones and Kathleen <laughs> Wiley and Juanita Broderick. Yeah. There's no way you do that if you have any link to yeah. Epstein because well, this is if you do this. A hundred times more of this is coming back to you. Totally. Well, like I mentioned earlier, the Epstein-Clinton relationship, far more damaging than the Epstein-Trump relationship. So if it's Trump versus Clinton, 
You know, who's going to want to bring up Epstein first? Really, neither of them, I think. Uh, because, again, this unsavory alliance system, it looks like Trump sort of did that to an extent, you know, with Epstein. But like I, I sort of touched on earlier, it seems like he was closer to the Maxwell orbit of stuff, right? Um, and that may be because of this bank. That may be because he was on the Lady Ghislaine and had sort of these this, this stuff with, you know, allegedly with Simeon Mogilevich, a Robert Maxwell business partner and organized crime guy and all this stuff. But again, unsavory alliances, you know, you have to, in order to be on top in that dog eat dog world. Uh, you know, where Trump inhabits, right, in New York City, you know, maybe you have to do some things that aren't so nice, right? It's challenge. It's a challenging thing because once you uh, uh, come into fame and money, you get invited to parties oh, all the sure. time. And you don't know what party you're going because typically here's how the party invitation sounds like. The party invitation goes and says, there's going to be a lot of who's who's at this yacht party. It's a mm -hmm. Monaco-style yacht party. It's a party being hosted at xyz's house and you're like okay cool i'll go to the party yeah but then you go to the party and the next thing you know pictures are being taken and then afterwards hey such and such was at this person's part dude i just got an invite i don't sure. I, I don't know it, again, anybody it's, at it's these hard parties. to know yeah. but you know you got to follow the money right that's a different and story following the money is a different story once you do business with somebody that's a different story than you're invited to a party but sometimes like there's even a picture with Jelaine Maxwell, Elon Musk. So hey, look at the picture here with. And I don't know if you've seen this one or not. Sure, sure. Yeah. From 2014, 2014, I believe. 2014. Yeah, yeah. So here's at a party. Well, she took pictures with a lot of people. Even like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. took pictures with her, but they're, as far as I understand, not really affiliated at all. So I mean, she was a social butterfly. She was very much in these um, elite New York social circles, and you know that was really what she did. She was an influencer. Right. And, you know, there are times when she used that to advance, you know, these this particular side of things that we're talking about, the shadier yeah. stuff. But some of it may have just been social. Again, it's really hard to know. But, you know, if you look like I did at some of these articles that came out in mainstream media before Epstein was infamous, even arrested the first time. I mean, it's pretty clear that people in those social circles knew something was weird with Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, there's talk, and I think it's a 2003 article from UK media talking about how Ghislaine Maxwell, there were rumors that she would take you know, have young blonde girls and train them in sex techniques and how to use whips and stuff. Who, who would do this? Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. This is in like mainstream media before he was even first arrested. If that's trickling into mainstream media reports, far back then, somebody knew. And someone was trying to say something, but, you know, didn't really do much, I guess. I have a question before. I, I, I want to stay. I want you to stay on Trump and all this, but because I'm shifting gears a little bit. But, um, you know, these days, Kanye's in the news for a lot of anti-Semitic comments. Sure. Okay? And, um, you know, I'm Jewish. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, you know anti-Semitism, what? Hold on. And then it's like, I am actually hearing what he's saying. And he's kind of just emphasizing his point about what's happening in black America and it's not so much against Jews. And he had a very, you know, interesting dialogue with Lex Friedman, who's a very intellectual podcaster. If you've ever heard of him, I'm very familiar, smart yeah. guy, mm -hmm. very stoic and very rational, mm -hmm. but he kind of, some of the things he was saying about Jews almost triggered Lex to start cursing and get emotional. Uh, but my, my question stems from uh, the point that they got at is he's like, Jews didn't screw you, Kanye. Individuals did. When you start calling out groups of people and not individuals, that will breed to hate. When you start calling out individuals, sure, you know you can kind of work on the the problem. But um, so as a Jew, I, I'm kind of grappling yeah. with that. Well, here, here's my, my question mm -hmm. is this though: that you hear Rothschilds, Jewish banking family, Epstein, sure, Jewish, Jelaine Maxwell, her family, 
Jewish. Okay. Right? Would would you, you know, I here's the thing. If you're talking about Israeli intelligence, do you think I'm talking about all Jewish people? If I'm talking about That's the CIA, question, do you think Mossad. I'm talking about all American exactly, people? Exactly. If I'm talking about uh, Italian mobsters, do you think I'm talking about all Italian people, Jewish exactly. mobsters, all Jewish people? There's a conflation here, and I think there are some people who use that to, to their advantage. Maybe before Epstein was arrested the first time, if you were to go talk about Leslie Wexner, organized crime allegations, uh, allegations that he was uh, involved with the murder of his a tax attorney in 1985, you could have been called an anti-Semite by some people. But again, I don't think that's uh, fair because then you're conflating someone involved in criminal activity with all Jewish people. I mean, if you're going to say that someone that's an or involved with organized crime and conducts, you know, is involved in criminal activity is the same as all Jewish people, wouldn't that be more anti-Semitic? You're saying all Jewish people do that kind of stuff? I mean, you know, I think it's complicated when you get to that level of stuff. And I right. think the ADL to a big extent does that. And if you look at their funding, historically, you have people like the Bronfmans. Uh, I think Wexner's involved to an extent. I, I, I think he works with some other groups, though. But some of these other groups that do make those allegations, you talk about powerful billionaires that may have been involved in criminal activity and like, oh, you're looking into that. You're an anti-Semite. I mean, some of those groups are funded by these billionaires. Yeah, and that's ultimately what I'm saying. And is they're that using it as protection for themselves to the detriment of the broader Jewish community. Correct. And you look at someone like Leslie Wexner, he's a major funder of North American Jewish leadership, right? But he's a guy allegedly tied to organized crime, and he's made very controversial comments about his spiritual persuasion, right? And so this is a guy that has been directing you know, Jewish American religious life for a very long time. And also very influential with Israeli government people through the Wexner Israel Fellows Program since the late 1980s. You know, um, and the Bronfman family is of they, course they, they run a program called they Birthright have a lot Israel, of, right? Which is they, yeah, a major major program yeah yeah that actually people. came out of of this mega group that was created by Leslie Wexner and I, I believe Charles Bronfman in 1991, and it was Steinhardt and Bronfman that got together and created Birthright Israel. And Michael Steinhardt is someone who's a he's very open about being an atheist and thinks that Jewish people should replace their faith with, um, you know, basically worship of the state. Of Israel and stuff. So, you know, it's very complicated. So, you know, um, once you get into that kind of money and power and, and stuff, it, it does become complicated. And I think we should be able to talk about that stuff because if we can't, that's not good, right? People need to be held accountable if they're involved in, in organized crime and any stuff. It doesn't matter what ethnic group you were a part right. of or what religious group you're a part of. You know, we're all equal, right? Or at least we're supposed to be. So you should be equally accountable. Like well, I respect you for doing what you're doing because what you're doing requires a lot of risk. And you've openly talked about being a mother. I'm, I'm glad last yeah. night you got eight hours of sleep. And, uh, you know, yeah, uh, not quite. I have a 10-month-old. And, I know, you yeah, told me. So. You, today's energy by uh, Whitney is sponsored by coffee. Just so yeah. you know, so two, two cups of coffee today. <laughs> but, but, to, but to wrap it up here for yourself, your, your profession, you could write about a lot of different things. That's not as risky as this. You're writing about something, a topic that's very, very risky. Uh, how's your husband feel about you doing this? Does he sit there and say, babe, we got two kids. What he, are you doing? He, Why don't he you and I do the same stuff. He's so, in the same business yeah, as well. So yeah. he's all for it. He's like, you guys yeah. are true believers and this is what you're committing to for the rest of your we life. We have to fight for a better world. Yeah. Yeah. We have to fight for a better world for our kids. What concerns you long-term? Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot of stuff right now that really freaks me out, I guess I would say, especially in the U.S. This war on domestic terror stuff is very concerning when you have the president of the United States giving a major speech and basically labeling a, a large segment of the country potential domestic terrorists just because they support a different political candidate. 
And that's coming from a person that doesn't like Trump. You're not a Trump oh, person. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But I think, you know, um, there's I have a lot of concerns, yeah, about the direction uh, this country is going. But really, you know, a lot of the world is in a very complicated position right now. And, you know, the question is, um, you know, who are making the supposed solutions to this problem? A lot of, you know, the big issues of today, right, we're being told, oh, they're so urgent. We have to solve them immediately. Here's the solutions. Let's implement them. But a lot of people aren't looking at what those solutions are, who made them, and if they're really going to benefit us all. It's all about, you know, urgency. But really the domestic terror stuff, it concerns me because they're basically um, some of the policy papers for that from the Biden administration sort of conflate. Uh, things that go against the government narrative as national security threats. And what happens if that ends up going to its logical conclusion? You know, and they say stuff like you say stuff online that makes people disagree with each other. That's a national security threat. OK, so we all have to agree. Everyone in the U.S. has to agree about what the government narrative or you're a national security threat or what you're saying is a national security threat and you can't be allowed online. You can't be part of the public discourse. No. You know, democracy requires that we have all sides heard. And the more you start stifling, not just like one side, but just anyone that doesn't agree with the government, we are going to get to a dark place very quickly. And that worries me. What happens once that takes place? You know, I live in Chile in South America. There was a government like that in Chile not that long ago. People still remember it. And it's not pretty. It's never happened really in the U.S. before. I don't think people really realize what all that involves. And what was I, the situation in Chile like? Uh, there was a U.S.-sponsored coup d'etat in 1973 that install, installed Pinochet. He was a military dictator. And uh, basically, you know, mass murder, mass disappearing of dissidents. Uh, that was enabled, actually, by the CIA of something called Operation Condor. Our government, our intelligence apparatus, a lot of the people I write in the book, designed domestic dissidents uh, disappearing you know, programs and protocols that were used by foreign governments. What happens if someday they decide to turn that stuff on us domestically? What do you think the war on domestic terror is? It's designed by these same people. Iran Contra? Oliver North, uh, he created something called Main Corps, which was a database of U.S. domestic dissidents that were going to be rounded up in the event of a vaguely defined national emergency. They've tried this before. Will they get away with it? Are they trying to do that now? Uh, this domestic terror stuff, if you follow it to its roots, you look at that stuff going on with the 80s uh, Iran-Contra, the aftermath of Oklahoma City, stuff that was going on after 9-11. There is a faction in our government that likes that type of government that they've installed in places like Chile and other places around the world. And I think there is a fight in our national security state apparatus uh, between that faction and other people and that that faction wants to bring that style of government here to the United States. Is this what the, uh, Trump refers to as the deep state? Well, yeah, I guess so. But I think Trump, in order to be in power, has made some sort of alliance with the deep state to an extent. I mean, in, in the sense that he was able to sort of, uh, you know, not be JFK'd, right? <laughs> but I think at the same time... You think uh, he made an alliance with deep state? Not necessarily. Maybe some factions of it to get in power. I mean, in order to be a presidential nominee of one of the two parties, you have to make, again, unsavory alliances. But I don't think it's, again, I don't think the deep state's a monolith, right? I don't think it's one group, one guy that all yeah. agree with each other. You're going to have different factions in there. Mm. It's kind of hard um, to believe because most of them hate this guy. No, a lot of them hate, most yeah. of them, I so would say, hate do, this guy. The Russiagate stuff, yeah. all those guys. Yeah, sure. I think we can call that the deep state. But again, this is not a monolithic group. Um, you're talking about people that 
all they care about really is expanding their money and power. And sometimes they're going to butt heads with each other. Sometimes they're going to come together. Sometimes they're going to be at each other's throats. Um, it's it, it evolves a lot. You know, when it comes to talking about what exactly happened during Trump's first term, I mean, it's very complicated. But the extreme resistance he got from, you know, mainstream media or, yeah. you know, even the intelligence service and all that stuff. I mean, there was a lot of really crazy stuff going on. Right. Well, but remember what, that one what, interview that he did? Uh, where he's like, uh, when they basically said, uh, they were talking about Putin and, and uh, MBS and Saudi Arabia, when he said, uh, well, you think the U.S. is that innocent? Right? Calling out that's essentially hard to what say. you're saying. That's hard to say in U.S. politics today. You know, it's really hard to be a big time politician in this country unless you perpetuate sort of a fairy tale narrative about what the U.S. government is and has right. done. And the reality is it's anything but that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, uh, and by the way, has anybody yet threatened you, your, your life or not yet? You're safe. You haven't had any weird emails. Look, messages. I, I mean, everyone, I think it's weird emails. I mean, because it's the Internet, yeah. whether they're people that are threatening you or just saying all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Uh, but I'm not really worried about it because you know i think a lot of what we're seeing right now is uh, on on one level sort of a spiritual or energetic battle in a sense mm -hmm. you know and i think that if you are afraid you're giving these power these people power over you huh. if well, you're I afraid of them so i think your you know your commitment to what's good about humanity and what you're fighting for uh what we enjoy in life you know our our, our future our children all that stuff your commitment to that has to be total Whitney, when is your what month's your birthday? Just say it again. Uh, October. October what? Seventeenth. Okay, that makes sense. You guys are one day apart. One day apart. <laughs> yeah, By it. the way, just for the record, <clears throat> public service announcement: I think it's fair to say Whitney, Patrick, and I. We have zero plans of suicide. This is not anything oh, we're yeah, thinking sure. of. So we got to give that disclaimer out there. You're Just so funny. well, people are afraid about that, and I think that's why more people don't come forward. But I think in today's world, you know, it's much cheaper for them to just call me a conspiracy theorist and smear me than to hire someone to like take me out. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so uh, once again, appreciate you for coming out. This was fantastic. I think we need another couple hours with oh, yeah. you. Uh, uh, audience, if you're listening to this, if you were fascinated by this, you're in the middle of it, my suggestion, share the hell out of this video with others and just ask him, what do you think about what uh, Whitney has to say? And then we're going to put the link uh, below to both books, to order both books, volume one and volume two. Uh, Tyler, if you can put it in the chat as well as at the top of the comment section and let's pin it to the top so people can go order her book. Uh, and we'll in the description side, we'll put the website that it can come and find you as well. Go ahead. Sure. No, if I could just say so, you know, two volumes, I should probably explain the difference between them. Volume two is the bulk of the Epstein, Leslie Wexner, Ghislaine Maxwell material. But if you're not familiar with some of the things we talked about today, BCCI, Iran-Contra, uh, you want to know more about the history of Roy Cohn, Robert Keith Gray, Bill Casey, some of these guys that came up, uh, you'll need to read volume one to understand the big picture. Um, I mean, you can read volume two and get a lot of the stuff about Epstein out of it, but but if you want to know the broader history and how long this has, been, this has been going on in our country, I would recommend you read volume one. But volume one is a lot denser and it's a lot more, uh, you know, it, it's kind of work to read because it's dense. You're almost a lot saying of the start stuff, with two. You're almost saying start. No, with two. I, well, I would personally start with one if you want yeah, to, because yeah. a lot of people like to go chronological. Yeah. But some people, you know, got volume one. We're like, where's Epstein? You know, so I, I just you. wanted to let good, people that's a good know. disclaimer. Folks, yeah. if, if you enjoy us having more guests like this and this is the first time you're coming on this podcast because someone shared it with you and you support us asking these questions, having these types of guests, please subscribe to the channel and click on the alert button. Having said that, thank you so much for coming out. We may have a surprise podcast coming soon. Stay with us. We'll let you know if it does happen. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.